Yo, yo, yo. Happy New Year, guys and gals. Chances are, if you're listening to this, it is very close to or just after the beginning of the year. We record this episode on December 27th, and this episode of Gravity Lab Radio was brought to you by Velocity Sports Equipment. Uh, Velocity Sports Equipment is the maker of the Infinity Rig. Super awesome people, super fine folks. They're based out of Bend, Oregon. I'm sorry, not Bend, but Sisters, Oregon. Um, our guest on this show is actually uh, the owners of Skydive Awesome in Madras, uh, Oregon, just around the corner. So you hear us talk a little bit about the Infinity family. But man, I've been you know, I've been Infinity since '99. Absolutely most comfortable rig. I've owned several other rigs uh, out there as well. Really love them. There's some super dope gear on the market today. Um, I, it drives me nuts. I hear people talk about, oh, this rig's unsafe. This rig is dangerous. If these other rigs were so unsafe or so dangerous, they wouldn't be sold. They wouldn't be on the market. People would there there'd be lawsuits. There'd be issues. There's a lot of great safe rigs on the market today, and a lot of it's personal choice. I love the way the Infinity looks. It is one of the sexiest looking rigs. Um, I like the curves. I like the lines. I like that clean canvas it has with that fully enclosed reserve pilot chute. Uh, part of it for me, safety. I just like my pilot chute all the way inside, all the way secure. It's got a much stronger spring to pass back through that. But I also like the aesthetics of how it cleans that lineup. It's super clean. If you get custom embroiderization, you can really do something more with that canvas. So it just to me, just a, a cooler shot, a cooler look. Uh, also super, super comfortable harness. Their inside-out seams on their leg straps really keep it from pinching on you. Uh, the curve of the leg strap, you've got to check them out. Hep, uh, check out VelocityRigs.com. Uh, Kelly, the owner, really, really passionate guy about the skydiver, uh, still keeps his rig at a pretty affordable cost. It's going to be on the better end of, of some of your more major rigs. A lot of people have asked about Infinity, and they're uh, marred. Hopefully he'll announce one soon. Maybe, maybe not. But uh, you'll see what happens. We'll see what happens in the next coming couple months. Check out VelocityRigs.com. If you mention go, uh, Gravity Lab Radio while you're ordering your rig and the special instructions or when you hit VSE at VelocityRigs.com, uh, say hello to Blake and mention Gravity Lab Radio. There is a free mesh backpad upgrade uh, that is complimentary of the guys and gals at VSE. Hit them up. Uh, also brought to you tonight by the Rating Center. I actually happen to own the Rating Center, my company, just a passion I have. Uh, for me, I wanted to affect standardization. I wanted to have a little bit more continuity in the sport. And doing that at a local level is, is an easier way. Uh, our governing body, USPA, they, they do a good job. They're, they're pretty hands-on. Uh, they're pretty involved. But there's only so much you can do at such a large scale uh, and keep the masses happy. So they have to work for the members. We can be a little bit uh, uh, pickier. We can be a little bit tighter. We can choose a little bit more with what we do. And then just raising that level, raising that bar. Again, I think a lot of other great companies out there. But the Rating Center, we believe in uh, passion. We believe in skydiving. We want to be the best we can. When I go to bed tonight, I want to know that myself, the guys and gals on my team, have done the best we can train you. We want to know that if you got hurt, if you got in an accident, we'd our best to equip you. And heaven forbid any of that happen. But it's all about that peace of mind, giving you the best things you can do in the sport. Uh, we train coaches, we train instructors, we train uh, uh, students as well. My wife runs the mentor program as part of the Ratings Center at Skydive Spaceland. So uh, check us out, theratingscenter.com. You want to learn to coach, you want to learn to be an instructor, you want some canopy coaching in Houston, Dallas, uh, San Marcos, Texas areas, we do all of those, theratingscenter.com. Uh, man, so thank me <laughs> for bringing you this show. But uh, tonight, man, Stephen, Kara, Rozier, super good friends, known them for uh, quite a while. Uh, left Spaceland in 2012 and eventually opened their own drop zone. Skydive Awesome. Ma Madras, Madras, Madras. I always mess up the name. You'll hear me say that. Uh, 
But check them out, skydiveawesome.com. In the show notes, as always, you can find out their information. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Live. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Hang <laughs> <laughs> Were you just growling into the microphone? Is that what <laughs> you <Yes>. said? Because <laughs> I did. Uh, can you hear me? I feel like my mic got quieter all of a sudden. Yes, I was. Can, yes, can, I can. Can you hear me all right? Yes, I can. All right. I felt, I felt like I turned the microphone up just a little bit earlier than usual. And I was like, God, what the fuck is that sound? Like, what did I break? Good to know you're just growling. It's nice. I just waited. <laughs> so normally you say gentlemen. Gen- gentlemen. <laughs> lady and gentlemen, welcome. Stephen and uh, Kara Rozier, welcome. Welcome uh, to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you for being here. Stephen Rozier, Steve Rozier, uh, known you from Skydive Spaceland. Uh, at some point, you've been the lead instructor. Kara also learned here at Skydive Spaceland um, and eventually met Steve, and I'm still pretty sure she's the boss. Uh, worked in the gear store here. Eventually, y'all moved on and started Skydive Awesome in, in Oregon. That's correct. That's about the gist. Cool. So that's who we have here. Thanks uh, for tuning into the show. That's it. We're done. Is that hey, the story? That's said? it, man. We, that was an amazing life. <laughs> you guys did it. Uh, if you are just listening to us for the first time or just watching us on Facebook Live, uh, know that you can actually download this as an audio podcast. Go to your favorite podcast app, search Gravity Lab Radio. You can listen to Stephen Care on the go on the fly. Uh, it amazes me, Nick, how many people still don't know you can download the stupid thing. So, Steve, how you been? Very good, sir. How's life for you? Dude, it's uh it's been busy and hectic as ever, but you own a drop zone, so you know that better than I. Yeah, life can be fun. So where exactly is Skydive Awesome? It's Madras, Oregon. Madras. I, I've driven through there and I was never sure how to say it. I actually had to ask Riley. We call it Madtown. Um, but it's central Oregon. <coughs> Closest or most notable city would be Bend, Oregon. So Madras, you originally, where did you start off at, Steve? We were in Sisters. Sisters. And a, a just probably, what, 10 minutes away, 20 minutes away by plane? Uh, by aircraft, yeah, 15 yeah. minutes. So it's in the same general area. You, it's, it's the same uh, place. Why did you choose that part of the country? Obviously, st- starting there, staying there. Why? Why? Well, I wanted to be somewhere where I had all the outdoor activities to do myself. I don't want to just skydive. I wanted other stuff around. And... I'd kind of always had that space in mind and would always look to see if there was anything happening there skydiving-wise. And once we went up there and started out looking at the place, I fell in love and knew that I could stay here for a minute, you know. And you started life out in? I was actually born in Texas. Born in Texas? I didn't didn't know know that that. either. That's news to us. We've worked together. Where at in Texas? Uh, San Benito. Down by South Padre Island, right on the border with Mexico. That ex- close there. That explains the tan. I, sh- I was sure you were a Utah boy born and raised. Mm-hmm. Border baby. Man, yeah. shows what I know about my good friends. When did you move to Utah? <coughs> uh, 92, I think. How old were you in 92? 12. 12. How old are you now? Uh, 38. Okay, just getting perspective to yeah. when, when things are happening here. Um, Dude, I just now I completely lost for what to do for the rest of the show. He's from Texas. Ruined my... Freaking night, man. 
My life I'm a born nomad. I've been. We moved all over. By the time I moved out of the house at 18, we had already moved 19 times. So, why all the moves? <coughs> Parents followed my grandpa, kind of helping him run businesses and things. And he migrated a lot. Was a wheeler dealer. Would buy something, sell it, and we kind of just followed him around doing some of that stuff and migrated a lot. My grandfather never really got to know him well by trade though was a machinist and moved town to town to town to work and that's what dad knew and then dad was military so moving around everywhere was just it was a lifestyle so the thing that i thought like nick you were from utah and while you were in utah what are you laughing at utah utah what's wrong with utah what's wrong i loved utah when we got to move there loved it it's a beautiful place what'd you like about it Oh, man, what didn't I love about it? Well, the first time I went to Utah was um, Kendall Friedman and I went to first my first tunnel camp in Denver. And then he's like, anybody want to go to Moab afterward? And I was like, what's a Moab? So I Googled and I was like, I do. And we just ran around the country. And I was like, Steve, have you ever been to Moab? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so and that ultimately ended up being where we got married was Moab. You actually worked out in Moab? Uh, Are you timing? <coughs> Yeah, I worked in Utah. I learned in Ogden, Utah. Okay. So skydiving started there. That's where I learned too. <laughs> Just put that out there. It's amazing. Do you know Brian? You know Brian Clark. Where did he start? Uh, gosh, uh, I think that was. I know not Ogden. Like Jack, what's Jack's place? Jack Guthrie is that a name? Yeah, that's oh, yeah. Skydive Utah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was at Guthrie's place. I just I remember he t- him telling a lot of stories of Jack. Brian Clark. I don't know if you ever met him. Is an old friend of mine. Yeah, he, I don't uh, place that name. Yeah, he worked at Spaceland, I think, before you got there. I think he quit by then. Pilot, jumper, everything. <coughs> so while you were in Utah, actually, you've told me a story. You met a fella who, who worked out of the Sisters Oregon area? Yeah, he worked in Bend. I was working in carbon fiber at the time. Oh. And he would commute every week down to Ogden. And would tell me about the mountain riding, the mountain biking, and the kayaking, and just the general area, and how much it is really yeah. similar to Ogden. <coughs> and that's something I actually wanted. Was Ogden's a great spot because you have everything you can imagine to do, you know, outdoor wise. And so, and I also wanted a place that had a season to it because I wanted time off in the winter to not burn out for longevity. And so it just sounded like an ideal spot for me. And so I always kind of focused on that area because of that reason. And when you left Spaceland Houston, where did you guys go? Ogden. Uh, Ogden? Yep. Okay, you went to Ogden. I, 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 it's very easy to lose track of all of you who come and go from Spaceland very for quickly. Sure. And you guys were in Ogden for how long? <coughs> uh, just about three years. And then from there you went straight to Sisters? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And one of the things <coughs> that we've left out is you didn't come to Spaceland from a drop zone. You've been to a few drop zones over your time as an instructor. Yes, I have. I tried <coughs> to kind of visit a lot of places as much as I could, even just to go to a boogie or see a place to kind of watch the operation and see, you know, the things that they were doing that people liked. And <coughs> you hear plenty of things that people don't like. Yeah. And so you get to just kind <coughs> of observe. And I wanted to see the things that people are doing that were helping them be, you know, successful and have growth. So we hear so many people come and go through our drop zone and most most DZs do. And so many of them say, I'm going to start my own drop zone. I'm looking at all these places. And I heard you say that when you showed up, 
But I was like, well, this guy actually seems like a serious character. He doesn't seem like just some idiot running around partying and, and ruining his life. He actually seems like he really takes his job as a, a job. He has a good time doing it. And here you are this many years down the road with Skydive Awesome. It started in 2012? 2016. We left Spaceland in 2013, I think. Okay, what year is it now? It's almost 2019. <laughs> wow, man. At Christmas, do you get the time blur during Christmas, like complete time I blur? do, because for me, it's Christmas and then <coughs> New Year's, and then my birthday's on the 6th. By the time the 6th rolls around, I'm like, please, no more parties. <laughs> Capricorn. Totally. <coughs> Very <coughs> much so. We, uh, yeah, it's it's been a huge time warp. So 2012, you left here. 2016, you started in Sisters. Correct. And now it's 2018. So two years now, you've had, had Skydive Awesome. Just finished our third season. Third season. And what did you guys start with? What Day one at Sisters, what did you have? A blizzard. We had started. <laughs> we opened our doors. We went to Dairy Queen. Bay. No, oh, no, like snow. Day. We had open for safety day. And it was like white out snow. <clears throat> what, what day of the year was this? It was March. Do you do traditional safety 12th? day? 12th. Okay. Yeah, we do it yeah, on safety March. day. Okay. So it was 12th. Safety day is a, a second Saturday of the mm-hmm. month. Uh, since you bring it up, I just let's just talk about it for a second because a lot of listeners have d- never gone through a safety day yet. What do you guys do at your safety day? Um, we try and cover all the topics. We <coughs> start the day with having people show up and just the hangout and greeting section. There's you know coffee, donuts, juice, things like that, and then we have mo- our more senior jumpers give presentations on. Each of the aspects, whether it be canopy or free fall or aircraft emergencies or anything that you could cover. And and then I kind of follow up with trying to catch the things that I see missed with our group, but it's a fairly small environment. You know, in a larger drop zone, you may split up the groups as you go through those different uh, aspects of safety. One of the things I had a hard time with moving here to Texas is safety day in indiana where i was working previously you're not jumping it's if you're jumping you're lucky to jump so we'll go do all our seminars and maybe go do one or two jumps because it's so cold that's all you want to do (coughs) and um, it seems like you guys are usually close for safety day as well uh no we will try and do jumping in the afternoon (coughs) we'll do all the presentations in the morning and kind of make sure everybody's thinking about the things that they need to think about since they've been off for the winter and so getting everybody fresh in (coughs) their mind how do you, you, you were here for safety day. I don't think you actually mm-hmm. uh, uh, did any of the presentations. Yeah, I did a presentation for free fall or uh, free fly friendly gear. Okay. And what things to look for on that. Man, life's a blur. Uh, compare, how, how different do you think safety day is from a large drop zone to a small drop zone? I, uh, um, it's slightly more intimate in a small drop zone because you can attend to m- almost everybody's questions because it's a much smaller populace to, you know, tend to. So you can be a little more intimate and maybe focus on what each individual is looking for. I've <coughs> I'm not sure, and, and I've gone from a medium to a large drop zone planning safety. I've done nothing else. But I almost feel like you, you can present less because you have a more a more structured group, a more focused group. You don't have so many. The more, the bigger the skydiving pool, the bigger the mm-hmm. population, the more knucklehead you're going to get, and yeah. God bless them. We, we still love them. They're still our friends. The more stupid things that happen, and, and of course, the more broad you have to become to cater to all of them. 
So do you feel like you can keep it more condensed in, in that respect stronger? Oh, yeah. We can have a more captive audience, I would say, <coughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, <coughs> sorry. So you started Safety Day. That was your first day, 2016. What did you have equipment-wise for the drop zone? Let's see. We started with three tandem rigs and three student rigs with a total of six canopies. So they were built for a range. So we started from the 260 down to a 220, and then that's what we had. And then we also had you know, the everything from a 220 to a 280. And then we got the 190 in the mid-season. What's your guys' field elevation, just out of curiosity? 2437. Okay. That was in, that's in Madras. In Sisters, we were at 30... 3260. 32. Something. And I don't think that's really a fair statement by itself because it's desert up there, right? Correct. What's the temperature in the summer? 90, 95? Mm, we had a few days, like maybe two weeks total, mm -hmm. where it was like way up in the 90s. But, I mean, you get like 50 degree temperature swings. Do you know what the density altitude is at summer? Sometimes it gets up. We've seen it up to 7,000. So, yeah, that's uh, starting at 2,000 as jumpers, if, if you've not thought about it, when you go to that higher elevation, you're flying faster, landing faster. Um, Plane doesn't want to climb, so we start at 7. And we'll take a break, and then depending on how the afternoon goes, and it's really hard to get sunset loads when the sun sets at, like, 10. Oh, man, you're just <laughs> too tired of 2B. So I want to come back to that, but you, you started with three rigs, three student rigs? Mm -hmm. Ranging from what size to what size with those six canopies? So we had three containers, and then we had a 280 main, a 260, a 240, a 220, and a 190. But they could alternate nice. into that gear. They were compatible enough to... And use an adjustable main lift webs yes. to... Yeah. Man, I love hearing that. So many small drop zones... Uh, Except the limitation of we only have a few rigs, so they just have a bunch of big rigs, and those those smaller guys and gals can learn on the big gear. It's not bad, but it's going to be better. It's going to be easier for them to fly gear their size. Yeah, it's, <coughs> it's encouraging to hear a small DZO thinking that way, thinking well, forward. It was important to me to have high quality gear. Part of it is that I have a guilty conscience if I'm telling somebody that. I'm providing them the safest experience that I feel I can, then I'm going to do everything in my power to make that a true statement. And I feel like part of that is making sure you have gear that is, you know, has the top of the line and does have the things that you want in your own personal gear. Why wouldn't you make sure they have everything available to them? And what canopies are you using? Uh, Navigator. 282, 6240, 220, Sabre 2, 190, and then we'll have a 170 starting this season. Man, it's so, it's, you, you working here in other places, you've seen all different types of schools, and definitely uh, Skydive Chicago, Skydive Spaceland, a lot of other drop zones like it are thinking very progressively, and you see a lot of smaller DZs who feel like they're trapped and they can't do those things. You're proving it can be done. That's part of the objective, actually. Yeah. And what do you use in student altimeters? Uh, I have Alti tracks and I have Visos. What do you let your students use? It's up to them. It's up to them. Man, I was talking to another uh, buddy in, in New Mexico today, and their drop zone, he was shocked to hear we let students use digital altimeters. I, 
the eight some eighteen year olds can't read an analog watch. <laughs> you know, I showed exactly. my niece my watch this weekend. She's got a, a she got a brand new watch, first watch. She loves it. Looks like a watch that legitimately we had in the the eighties. Like her mom and dad were laughing. They're like, "Oh my god, look! She got her high school watch." It's. I wish I could remember the name brand. Um, and it's analog or digital. And I was like, "Could you tell the time on this thing?" She looked at me and she said, "Yes, I'm sure she could, but not. She'd have to think about it." It's so you're. Honest. You're using Visos and Altitracks, whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. And what do you prefer? I prefer the Viso. Yeah. Steve? Yeah. Um, I prefer whatever they function best with. I no, want I mean you. Oh, what do I wear yeah. as a Viso? Yes. He's okay. And then back to you say you let them do what? Let them choose because I want them as comfortable with that environment as they can be. You know, I don't want anything that's overwhelming them beyond what's already going to be overwhelming. Did, did you learn on an analog altimeter? I mean, uh, I learned with an Alti two, the right. old style, older style. So, I, I'm just talking from my own personal experience. When when I I started with an Alti two also, and had probably a thousand, fifteen hundred jumps or something before I switched to a digital altimeter. And the first time I looked at the, I had gotten really accustomed to looking at the dial and just seeing where it is relative to the zero, and that kind of let me know where I was and, and how much time I had. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the first time looking at a digital altimeter being like, oh, what? <laughs> I'm at 2,500 <laughs> feet. What does that mean? Like, I just didn't <laughs> didn't have the my little gauge, you know, to tell me how close to the, you know, the red zone and the earth I was. And so I, I feel like it really actually forced me to be more aware of my actual altitude and not just the position of the gauge because I had to see the number, process the number, and then put that more in my head of what, what that meant to you know where I was supposed to be. So I, I'm, I think five years ago I might have said, oh, it's probably confusing to switch that person to a, from an from a analog to a digital. But I think it, the digital just makes sense. The only hiccup I had was just making the switch from something that just read it in a different or presented it in a different way. How uh, how many jumps do you have now, Stephen? Um, I have. I just say I have over nine thousand, but I stopped logging at that <laughs> time, and then um, I don't know, probably close to five thousand or so tandems, and then AFF over a thousand or so, and a handful of fun jumps. So, how many did you have when you made the switch from an analog to a digital altimeter? Probably a couple thousand, but well, I'm, I'm do you remember it sure. being a weird uh, change? Uh, no, I remember I wore both until I was comfortable with it because I didn't trust that <laughs> change. I'm pretty. Did uh, you do that? Wear both? No, I didn't. I did not wear both. I just went straight up, straight up to. Uh, how did wearing both go for you? Uh, it was good because then I started to trust that that one was actually more accurate after observing him. I was like, actually, I think this one's working way better than what <laughs> I've been using. What about Audible? Uh, I do jump with an audible as well. Yeah. Uh, when I went with both, I couldn't do it. I could not stop looking at my analog altimeter, so I could not. I wouldn't read the digital. It's like, this one's here. Why would oh, I not read it? Oh, you're still on the crutch of the yes. what, what you're used to? Uh, so I eventually just took it off and said, I have to go digital. And I, I said and done, I'm just like you. It's I'm more altitude aware. It might be more difficult to read, and I don't think it really is. But I'm much more altitude aware because I know the number, not just the direction of an arrow pointing. So it's I, I love I wear both now, but that's a whole other story. I wear just in case somebody forgets their altimeter here. Here's an altimeter, so I wear both to have a backup. Audible, you're wearing. Uh, what are you laughing at, girl? Oh, just a s- 
remember doing a hop and pop with Reyes and forgetting my altimeter. And I was like, I got to get off the load. Got to go. I'm not prepared. He's like, no, here. Yeah. So. Hand off altimeters all the time. What audible? You wear one audible, two audibles. How are you using them? I wear one audible. It's uh, Optima, I'm pretty sure. But <coughs> I don't look at it very often. I leave it set always at the same, regardless of what type of jump I'm using. I believe the audible, you should know it's about to happen anyway, so I'm pretty frequent um, altimeter checker anyway. Um, so I leave it set with my first beep at 5,500 feet, which is a great reference for AFF and any free fly dive. I know I'm 500 feet from breakoff, and you know, most of the skydives for fun jumps, and then um, I have another beep at 3,500 feet, which is my personal main deployment that's i don't want to be past that so if i haven't pitched and i hear that then i know i i want my main out and then i have another one set at 1500 feet that if i hear that then now i'm passing the point where i'm you know gambling losing my second option so do you use the canopy alerts at all on your optima i do have those set but i'm very visual with swooping Man, we all, I think, all learned in a day and age where learning to swoop was look at the ground when it looks big enough, you turn. <laughs> uh, because analog altimeters, is that you just couldn't judge it anymore. And I do like the beep availability audibles have. But uh, I just, I they're all turned off on mine. I don't use them. Can't, can't stand a beep under canopy. It drives me bananas. It's like, I know what I'm doing. Shut up. Man, I love it. Oh, dude. Love it. What are you using? I, uh, Visually? ProTrack Pro for your audible? No, uh, let's see. ProTrack 2, yep. Depends on which helmet I'm wearing. I have a Quattro in my camera helmet, and then I have the ProTrack 2 and a an Optima in, yeah, in my fun jump helmet. So do you guys know what the swoop guide is on that device? The Optima and the ProTrack 2 both have so it? I don't use the, the long beeps. Like, I have a beep at 11.50, a beep at 8.50, and a beep at uh, 3.50. You're digging out of a they're corner, they're bud. They're just <laughs> <laughs> it's that hey, if you're hearing this and you're still diving, you're in Foxville, buddy. <laughs> so So yeah, that's how I that's how I use it. It's like uh, digging out a corner. <laughs> yeah. If you're not stabbing, get ready to. That's that well, that's what that last one means. Oh here but, I But I mean th they go off always regardless of, you know, uh, of <laughs> of if I'm in a dive or not, right? It's gonna go mm. off at three hundred feet whether I've already planed out super high or whether I'm still <laughs> diving aggressively, it's still gonna beep at three hundred. But it's just uh, just like what you said, how you use your audible for free fall, about these these alarms always mean the same thing regardless of what jump you're on. I, I have a similar philosophy with uh, how, how it's set up for my turn. I'm guessing you're the same for you under canopy. Yeah, they, I never change them. It's interesting because there's so many different ways people believe in using uh, audible altimeters. Carol, how do you use yours? Like, he never changes his altitude. Do I you never cha change mine. So it's always the same altitudes. I've done both over the years, and actually when we started the show, I did the same thing. I never changed mine. I believe these are the altitudes I need to know. This is what's going on. And, God, we've had this conversation probably a dozen times with various people in, in various formats. It all, you know, it's the same foundational what are the numbers. <clears throat> and I've started recently changing and playing with and using it. I say started to in the last year and a half. Uh, setting them, I think. I'm guessing, Nick, you set them right when they're supposed to, don't you? Yeah, if, if I'm doing like a... I guess it depends a little bit on the jump, but sure. I almost always have my first beep go off at break off. And that's just so that I know if I hear that noise, I need to act right now. Like I don't need to hear that noise and think about how long until I break off. 
for for me, I I just change it if my breakoff altitude's gonna be different. Then I'm gonna change it to to be that breakoff altitude, and I just now react to the to the sound, which has absolutely fucked me before. If if I've changed it and forgotten to change it back, and now I'm the person leaving a thousand feet early on a on a jump, I've I've certainly been that guy. So I think if you change it, you have to be uh, diligent about changing it for each jump or checking it more often to, to mm-hmm. make sure that it's right for that jump. But I, I try and do a really good job of listening to the to the beeps when they when they go off. It took me a long time to realize that five beeps and then a pause and then a beep, that that's what five five sounds like. I thought it was just making noises to tell me it was on. You know, no one no one explained this to me. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that, that, like that's a different beep. Oh, yeah, I changed it. So, so if ever uh, I, I listen to the, to the beeps to, to know what it's set at, and if I ever need to change it, because my helmet's on and I'm not going to take it off for another 500 feet, but gosh, I sure can forget a lot in the half a minute it takes to climb 500 feet so my vigil altimeter on my wrist i normally wear it facing me on the inside and if i need to make an adjustment to my audible i flip it to the top of my wrist because i know next time i look at my altimeter it's not where it usually is that's my visual cue of hey stupid you need to pull your audible out and change it that's a damn good idea i'm laughing it's a good trick it's a trick that always works money man it's absolutely money Uh, you know matt bessonet he, uh, when he shot video, he never had a uh, light for his camera, so he always crossed his fingers. As soon as he turned <laughs> on his camera, he crossed his finger. If I'm going to climb out and I can't grab onto something, it's because I didn't hit record yet. So I uncrossed my fingers and I hit record. It's, it's, it's a great trick. It's basic. Yeah, yeah like had, we got stupid brains. It's super easy to, to figure out a way to trick them. So many gadgets. It works so much easier. The swoop guide, I think you know what it is. It'll, you can set it for a window, so it starts beeping and continuously beeps faster, 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 so you basically have a range. This is the top of my turn. This is the bottom of my turn. Mm. Let me set for those two altitudes, and beep, 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 and you better stop turning when it beeps that quick. Mm. So That one I agree is obnoxious. I don't use that one. Oh, dude. You know, I'll tell you, it works great training people. As much as I don't use an audible altimeter swoop training, people who have an Optima, I, I say, hey, have you used a swoop guy? Try it. Try it to train and find your window and then turn it off. Uh, It's annoying as hell. Uh, It's been super helpful. The last couple guys I've actually got to turn a canopy and do 270s, it's it's been immensely helpful for them to get comfortable and trust the altitude. Like, man, it just looks wrong. But my visual's telling me one thing. My audible's telling me one thing. I know I got to be right. So you guys have three rigs, three planes, altimeters, and what kind of airplane? Well, we have only one airplane, but it's a Cessna 182. What's it like to buy an airplane? <laughs> that like was a really fun <laughs> experience, <laughs> actually. I, I was in the pro shop. Gonna, I'm going to order a new canopy this week, I think. And that number is a lot smaller than any airplane. And it's a hard chunk of change to, to give away, even for something that you know is worth it. Uh, so yeah. how, how, tell, me, tell me about buying an airplane. Tell me about this, this stress. Uh, I was it stressful? Um, no, I, I wasn't, wasn't stressed. It was super fun. I stressed out the pilot I used, which <laughs> was JoJo. Um, you know JoJo. Yeah, I know JoJo, yeah. So we had been looking for planes, and he was helping us go through and teaching us like things to look for in the maintenance records and how to kind of find the airplane that we wanted. And... I don't know, I guess it's part of partially because I'm stubborn, but I wanted a plane that hadn't been used for jumping, and I wanted to convert it the way that I wanted it. But and you didn't want something that a bunch of disrespectful skydivers had already ruined? Pretty yeah, much. I wanted yeah. to disrespect <laughs> it myself. 
And so we found a plane that we liked, and we had just sold the house to have our financing to start the thing. And so we are going to go to Polson, Montana, to look at this airplane that the guy hasn't been flying it at all. That was the only downside was it hadn't been being used. It was only flying eight hours a year for the last 20 years. And it was just a hanger baby. It was painted the same month I was born, and it was <laughs> immaculate paint. So the airframe was really solid, had no corrosion, and that was the big thing that I wanted. And so he had this plane listed for 65. And there was no way I was going to pay 65 for it, but we were fortunate that the pre-buy, it had been looked at, and the deal had just fallen through because somebody lost their financing. But this guy really was a... He needed to sell the plane, so I knew he was in a position. And so I strapped 40 grand cash to myself and flew up to... Um, <coughs> like you went, through, you went through TSA yeah, with 40 grand strapped So <laughs> 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 wrapped around your body? I was just in a money belt that I didn't take it off to go through, and they didn't stop me. And so <laughs> How did that, that feel like you were doing something illegal, carrying your own money through no, TSA? No, I just didn't want everybody to know I had it. <laughs> I didn't really worry about that. I knew the rules, and I had the bank letter to show what I was carrying that cash. So hold on. So. Hold on. You can <laughs> going off on a tangent. No, uh, yeah, I'm going through TSA now, and I want to carry forty grand. I can keep it strapped to a money belt to me that has no metal on it. I didn't have to go through the thing where you put your arms up on this particular trip. They Did you go through x-ray? Yeah, they walked through x-ray, but there was no money on it. It was just a Velcro bag. So what happens so if it's the it one off. that makes you hold your hands up like you do the Macarena? They would make you take that off and put it in a bag. But nobody would really know it's 40 grand cash okay. in it. I Unless you, you were announcing it. <laughs> I simply Hey, I, everyone. <laughs> I partially wanted it there for my later strategy because I didn't tell him I was paying cash, and I knew that was a bartering tool. Oh, you're going to make it rain on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, uh, he might have rained tears in his truck. He was pretty upset. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're smuggling money across America. Just a little north. but uh, So <laughs> I meet JoJo there. He flew up from Vegas, I think, and I flew out of Utah. And the guy drove all the way down and picked us up in, like, Missoula or something, wherever we could fly into, and drives us an hour up to look at the plane. And the day that we first looked at it, we couldn't even pull it out and run it up because it was just so much ice and everything in the air that we were stuck on the ground. So we were able to look at it and go through it with the mechanic, but we hadn't had a chance to fly it. And that first day, I was just really hyping up everything about the plane with the owner. But we hadn't had a chance to fly it, and we knew we would find some things when we looked at it again with the mechanic. And So we went off for that night and met up with him again the next day when it was a lot nicer. And now he, we finally get to fly it, and he's like, you know, based on some of this conversation, I think you guys might be turning this into a jump plane. <laughs> I was like, well, I really just want to teach my wife how to fly, and I want to learn how to fly. That's the main reason I want it. And he's like, okay, but kind of looking at me. <laughs> he wouldn't have sold it to me if he knew I was going to destroy his baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I ended up uh, going in and finally like, okay, well, I, I want the plane. He's, I was like, but the only thing is we've never really discussed a price. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess I always assumed you were paying the asking price. I was like, well, no, really, it's. You know, there's all these things, and there was there was a lot of stuff. The boots and the tail were built 
you know, wrong. And so we knew we had to have that redone. And mm -hmm. there were several little like things as you go through it. But the biggest thing was the engine hadn't been being flown. So you know you're going to have to rebuild it soon. Yeah. And so that was the big deal to me. And so I was haggling with him and he didn't really want to move at all. I said, all right, well, I was going to pay you cash. And I pulled the money belt out and I was like, but, you know, I only brought 40, but I told my wife I wouldn't spend more than 35, you know, so I'm going to get in trouble even if I pay you this. <laughs> He's shit a brick. He <laughs> He's like, no, we're not doing any of this, whatever. And I told Jordan to start packing up his stuff out of the plane. He's Snapchatting like, me in tears. He's like, your husband <laughs> is crushing my soul. And I'm just like, sit stuck in Ogden like, okay, well, that's going to be like another, you know, X thousand dollars Wait, in commercial this, flight. This guy's sending you messages no, while Jojo Steven's still Jojo. Jojo. Oh, oh, I didn't okay. go. I just let them go. And Jojo's just like sending me snaps, just like, Steven's crushing my soul. He's like, I'm going to have to take a commercial flight <laughs> back to Ogden because your husband, is it working his magic? Yes, I was. But I mean, I Jojo, Jojo had her right? faith. Yeah, I well, I used him because <laughs> <laughs> he needed the, the guy I was buying it from. Larry needed to know that we were serious about leaving, and so I made Jordan my puppet for that moment because I needed his sadness to express what we that we were leaving. <laughs> but I wasn't leaving without that plane. Yeah, but I you needed shit to get real it. for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted that plane. I knew I was buying it. You needed somebody to cry, and it wasn't going to be you. <laughs> so he ends up he ends up coming back and agreeing to sell it because after trying to talk me out of, he's like, oh, you're making the worst deal of your life. You know, you're going to have to pay this much for the next pre-buy plus your flights home, all this. I said, yeah, I understand that. Can you give me a ride to the airport? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not giving you a ride. So then he agrees to the sale, and we're taking the plane over to fuel it up. I was like, well, will you top it off at least, you know, before we go? <laughs> he didn't like that one, but I thought it was a really funny joke. <laughs> he was like, no, leave. Get yeah, out of here. he just wanted me gone at that point. But So now you've got a plane, three student rigs, three tandem, tandem rigs, rigs yeah. and you're at a drop zone. No, because we haven't talked about taking it for its conversion. You oh, you do have to have it converted, yeah, because you guys got a non-jump plane. Yes. Right. So and it was so pretty. So now you've got to get it stripped out. What what do you actually have done to it? Do you have wingtips put on it? Yeah, I had the wing extension and the sportsman stole kit and then a jump door with the step and the interior modifications done. <laughs> so a lot of our friends have no clue what anything you just said is. So <laughs> kind of in layman's terms, brief explanation, the wingtip extensions and the uh, and the stall kit, short takeoff landing kit. Yes. Uh, they both increase lift capacity, climb rate. Yeah. So from based on online research, and it seems to have proven true, um, we did the Wing X Sports, or sorry, the, is it the Sportsman's Wing X? I can't remember. Sports, no, we did not. It's, uh, uh, it's just the Wing X extensions, I guess. So it's like three extra feet. Yeah, adds 18 inches aside. Mm -hmm. And then we did a sportsman stole kit, which is effectively the leading edge gets changed on the profile so that it provides more of a lift capacity or lift characteristic for slow flight. So, is it is it like a sleeve that slides over? How does it change I can't the profile? Even see it. Um, originally, they put a piece of 
kind of a rigid foam that goes on. It's a kit that comes, but you get foam that covers certain sections, and then that gets skinned and riveted <coughs> and then painted to match and whatnot. Okay, so I, when I say a sleeve, it's still yeah. it's still yeah. a sleeve over it. There's yeah, some yeah. form over the front of it. Okay, makes sense. <coughs> and to the inside, what do you have to do to the inside of a plane to get it ready to jump? Take out all of its pretty gold and green interior. <laughs> Somebody sounds bitter. We still have, like... The pilot door, the seat, is still like the original interior. Not bitter. No, it serves its purpose, but <laughs> it's such a pretty airplane. But um, basically just we made sure that currently it's any snag hazards are like covered with rubber. And then we had like a nice um, foam pad. And, of course, new seat belts installed into the floor. So it's about like a two and a half, three inch memory foam with nice Cordura. So it's just padded you Cookie. all you have. And we ended up taking out the yoke. The yoke is out, but it's still re- like you can still put it back in. Okay, the, is the yoke completely out? So there's no knob sticking out Correct. at all. Nothing. You know what I'm talking about. You ever mm-hmm. see th- them cover with yeah. tennis ball? Yeah. yeah. You ever jumped out of those? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to lay underneath the uh, pilot, the co-pilot mm-hmm. side, and grab that yoke and watch out the back window and try to fly <laughs> to altitude. <laughs> got decent at it, but god dang, Indiana summers got boring that way. Um, you, how many people can you carry it out to in that plane? Four. Four. I know sometimes people push it hard on a 182. A, not wow. smart. B, taken off at sometimes seven grand if you think about the summers there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what weight limit do you have? Um, with the wing extension, they do a different spar at the top of the wing strut. Nice. And so it gives you, I believe it was a 300-pound payload increase. So you, uh, tandem's what's your weight limit? Uh, 240 is listed. Depends on what they're... As long as they're under the weight of me and the gear and we fit in the 500 and they have an athletic build, then I'll consider them. But it can be awkward in a 182. Oh, dude, I've, I've put in some, uh, I think, 240, 230 was our drop zone max in, in Indiana. And grease the door and pop them out, man. Let's go. <laughs> some of them tall or some of them fat. Just it was You've got a lot of bigger folks. I mean, Central Oregon, it's... Kind of, you know, agricultural, little good old boy. So, I mean. Were there some butterballs in? No, I wouldn't say. They're just tall. They're no bigger than Texans, that's for sure. (laughs) 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 They they make them big here, man. That's why I was glad we got, like, the size canopies. We heard the student rigs. I was like, Steve, we're going to have, you know, some just tall. They're just tall, burly guys. Burly, that's good. And then we had, you know. That's appropriate couldn't accommodate Bailey. I was like, you got to go somewhere else. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have we don't have rigs for munchkins. Not yet. Nothing that Sorry. would mm. safely fit. No. So, now you open the doors or so you've got all, you've got this plane. You've got this equipment. Mm-hmm. You've got the airport already figured out. Yeah. This is in Sisters. Mm-hmm. What kind of space did you have there? What was your arrangement? It was uh probably 60 by 40 office space. It was big enough to pack the tandems in. <coughs> And everything else, and it was all the office and everything in one. But we were starting out, there was probably, you know, eight to ten local jumpers who had been jumping in that area with a guy who had been doing it in that area for almost 30 years, but was kind of small, never really pushed to get big. It was more of kind of a club family environment. (coughs) And he was actually the first call before we moved to Oregon was to him, to his name is Bob Dawes. He's supported Central Oregon skydiving for a long time. He's a really good guy. And so I 
I heard rumor that he was wanting to retire anyway, but didn't have a replacement. And so I called him first and asked him how he felt about us coming up to that area, because I do believe 100% in skydivers. I don't want to step on toes. I want to be supportive of the sport of skydiving in every way I can. And so when I called him, though, he was very gracious and just like, yeah, I'd, I am ready to just kind of be out of the loop. Would like to be able to fun jump, stuff like that. And so he started just sending anybody that called him to us. Did he own a drop zone at Sister? Where, where was he? He was in Madras. Madras, okay. <coughs> and Sister's really, uh, you didn't have a hangar there. No. No. And that was part of a bad story. Because I'm, I wake up one day, I actually am in Dallas hanging out with a buddy of ours, uh, Ben, and I think was, we were in Dallas. I forget where we were at, but I was hanging out with Ben. It was actually here in Houston, and he walks into the fishbowl and he shows me a picture of a plane, and he is really, really depressed. And y'all got hit by a hailstorm or something like that. That was actually in a hangar. It was in <laughs> a hangar. That was in yeah. Madras. I thought that was in Sisters. No, that was what our first day in Madras. What moved you from Sisters to Madras then? A few things. Yeah, so... The city was pretty welcoming in the beginning, but local complaint from for noise and things like that. But it was already an issue with the airport. We were the new shiny toy that reignited this kind of fuel. Mm-hmm. But the biggest issue was that the winds gust to 30 every afternoon, and you're coming right over trees, and there's no open area. It's all coming out of forest into little pockets. Yeah, And the way the wind swirls through that area, the... They were just gnarly all the time. We were shut down by 3 o'clock because of winds almost every day. Physically and community-wise, it wasn't the right spot. Well, landing area was yeah. also a problem as far as just the way that the county and the city, because the airport was annexed into the city, and then just at the very uh, north end of the runway, there was, you know, folks that were in a state-type, you know, retirement, if you know, retirement age, wealthy they moved to Sisters. They wanted their peace and quiet. They hated that there was an airport being used, and then let alone for fun. So the county was the one that, you know, they came in and, like, started throwing permit whatnot. Like, you need conditional land use, blah, blah, blah. So they combated the noise issue with, now we're going to start taking your landing area away. And at the end of the day, it just really, we're like, we've got an invitation to go to Madras. The opportunity for growth was better there. The consistency of uh, weather patterns and the openness. We went from like a small private, it's a private airport for public use to a massive 3,000 acre with two separate runways in the high desert. So instead of trying to fight and just like hold our ground, um, we just decided to go ahead. And since we didn't have a name that was tied to a city or a location, we just went ahead and once we got back from Belize, we just moved our operation to Madras. That's a convenient thing. No Thai city name-wise. <coughs> so Madras, you're now at a hangar or, or facility. What this do you year have? we moved into a hangar. Um, the first year we operated out of a small office. Um, actually, the pilot lounge of the FBO at that airport. And now we've moved into 3,500 square foot hangar that was actually built by Bob Dawes and his um, his jumpers uh, about 2002. So then, you know, they weren't using the hangar anymore, and then it was just pretty much rented out as storage, and the city helped us, you know, get into it for, you know, a commer- it was the only commercial space on the airport, so we didn't have to build anything. Now we're bringing back to life the hangar that Bob Dawes and, you know, 
these what we call the OGs, like the original gangsters of Central Oregon skydiving. That sounds mm-hmm. like a lot better deal than the pilot lounge. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but super grateful. I mean, yeah, we ended up, you know, packing tarp outside, or we'd use the conference room for packing tandems, but our jumpers had to use, you know, outdoor packing, and well, we made it work. But now we've got a legit space. So a- after all your travels and all the drop zones you've seen, I'm, I'm curious if you set up your own drop zone modeled after any one particular place that you had spent time? Um, not really. It's just the space that I had to work with more so. But I have, you know, rig racks and packing floor and hangout. And we have all the things that we've wanted now. Yeah, because, like, it was already it was built by skydivers, so it was already set up for skydiving, rigging loft. Um and then, you know, office with bathroom, kitchen, bathroom with shower. Um, yeah, the space was there, like, really already built out. How much uh, space is there? You might have said a number, and I was Roughly getting Roughly 3,000? It's 60 by 55, I think. Okay. Hanging. Sorry, I'm doing some quick math in my head and getting a good, a good quick picture. I thought you were Asian. Come on. <laughs> oh, man, I'm Asian. Not all stereotypes are true. I can't do math. <laughs> The rest of the Asian stereotypes <laughs> are You should get an iPhone. 3,300 square feet is what that says. 3,300. Okay. I was picturing it bad then. <coughs> um, <laughs> I was picturing it smaller than this house, and this house is not close to that big. So, um, You guys have this place now. You have a hangar space for the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many jumpers? What, what's your jump scene like right now? How many we got? 30 mm. some odd. Yeah. I would say around... 30 solid fun jumpers. Um, and then... In the area. Just yeah. yeah, and we get folks from, you know, the valley. Uh, or Portland area as well. Like They like to come over. What's the valley? Portland. Portland down on the other side of the... Yeah, yeah. literally side. it's just the, it's the valley. Okay. I can, I can picture. I forget what city it goes down to. Eugene? Portland to Eugene, Salem. Okay, yep. Eugene, Salem. We crossed through Salem. Mm-hmm. So that's... I'm, yeah. I'm where we're at. Um... <coughs> So you got thirty some odd fun jumpers, but n- not on any given day. No, just remember we're throughout in the month. Gets the fact that we are, you know, in Adventure Town. Our jumpers have other hobbies like climbing and rafting, um, hiking, backpacking. So, you know, they're not just. We do have diehards that are there. You can expect them any day we're open. But then we've got other folks that, you know, they are going to go camping or go spend the weekend at Smith Rock, or go, you know, backpacking. Portions of the uh, or the thousands of other things there to see, which is kind of cool because I mean, it's we drove through Madras just north of you guys is is Hood River, and Correct. that's probably what a two hour drive max. Two hours, yeah, to get to Hood River. Two hours, forty five minutes if you want to just get into the trees. Yeah, but Hood River, there's kite surfing. I couldn't. I was blown away to how much wind sports were sitting on the water. They're mm-hmm. kite kite boarding, kite surfing. I had no idea that it, or not kite boarding, wind board. So yeah, they've got kite, kite surfing, kite boarding. There's just tons Thank of you. wind sports that yeah. are on the water. Yeah, Air I mean, gliding, you name covered it. with people there. It was unbelievable. And then you've got the mountains right there. We actually stopped at uh, White River, the bridge that that crosses the the river coming down from Mount Hood, the rocky, big rocky. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you can hike up in there in the summer. I guess in the winter mm-hmm. it's just completely, or in the spring it's complete wash. Right. But at the end of the summer or July is when we were there. There was barely any water. So we got to hike up that whole thing. There's so much going on. You've got 30 some odd fun jumpers. Tandems. How many tandems did you guys do this last season? Last season was right under 600. In your first season? Our first season, we actually did like 480 or something like that. 
And what are you doing to get the word of mouth out? And why do you think it's going up? Um, we've actually should would have grown quite a bit more. Um, changing spaces was kind of hard because we lost some of the relative. But everybody knew us as in sisters mm-hmm. through all of <coughs> our original campaign. And so then <coughs> when you make that move, then you have to now get the awareness as to where you are. Sure. And even getting Google and things to update takes a little bit of time before they'll actually process the stuff. And so we would have people drive to the wrong spot and, you know, they're an hour and a half late for our schedule. And then they're having a bad experience because of that. So we had a little challenge in that to overcome. But we're learning more that word of mouth, there's local events that we can go and set up a booth for 40 bucks and listen to music in the park. And the way we set up our booth is we set up a tent (coughs) with a table and a TV with a generator and then a bunch of chairs and a cooler of beer. And it's just all the people from the drop zone sitting around drinking, watching skydiving videos. And whoever wants to stop and talk to us just loves the energy. And so we get a crowd around us. That's <laughs> a really good idea. Stand there and it's sell right tandems. by the beer garden. <laughs> and we sell tandems on the spot for That's a small awesome. discount. So I just oh. create the drop zone in their environment. And then they want to hang out there and buy our product. That's brilliant, dude. Yeah. So we have the fun jumpers come out. Like, you sell a tandem, we'll give you a fun jump. So it's really cute to see them hustling, you know, trying to get people to come over. And, yeah. and they still think skydiving is super shiny. So they want to sell everybody. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we want to sell people in general, but I'm very quickly shut down. Hey, bro, you ever consider skydiving? No, all right, cool. I've, <laughs> I've argued so many times <laughs> in my life. As soon as you say right. no, I'm like, yeah, whatever. That's how I am. No, he'll, <laughs> he'll still go after this sale after all these years. I My in-laws, this uh, Christmas trip, we just uh, visited them for the first time. They have some idea of what I do for a living because I just don't talk about skydiving away from the drop zone. Um, outside of this show, it's it's very little. So when people don't want to talk about it, I'm like, yep, great. But neither do I. I'm okay. Yeah. So you're set up at these at these music festivals, these different things going on. Yeah, they're free, like, cons- it's called Munchin' Music. I mean, they have, like, mid-level, like, festival artists that mm-hmm. come and play for free. And then you've got tons of vendors and then food trucks and tons of, like, inflatable bounty whatever. Games. Women. Games. Yeah. No. Sometimes. <laughs> at, that's at the end of the night. Yeah. It's pretty is there any yeah. college presence in that area in Bend? Yes, COCC is in Bend. <coughs> How big is the school? COCC. COCC is Central Oregon Community College, and then there's also OSU <coughs> Central Oregon. So the OSU, um, which is the Beavers, not the Ducks, um, they've got a campus over in Bend now. In the ba- okay, mm-hmm. in Bend. In Bend, but they are over like in Eugene area. The, uh, that's in Corvallis, and the Ducks are in. So that's U. So oh, yeah, Oregon. Oregon yeah. State University. How Oregon far are you guys uni- from there? Like three hours. Do you do you draw from the college scene at all? We draw a lot from the valley, to be honest, because a lot of people want to escape the the cloudiness, the humidity. Um, Central Oregon's a huge destination. So, yeah, we do capture Portland, Washington, you know, Western Oregon, Washington, Southern Oregon, Northern California, and Idaho. It's uh, we used to, in Indiana. We used to go to all the sororities, fraternities, again smaller drop zones. So the, the 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 drop zone staff does all the work. We do all the marketing. Mm-hmm. The DZO wants to go push something. He sets up a tent and he invites everybody to come hang out with him with some beer and party. And it's it's such a great family vibe. 
he would uh, convince the staff, hey, hop in the jump plane with me. We'll fly to this little college town mm-hmm. nearby. We'll get the shuttle van that they have. We'll drive out to this. Uh, we went to Greek Road every time. He goes, the Greeks have money. They'll spend it on skydiving. We'd walk up to the door of, of sorority fraternities. Every single one of them would let us in. Sororities, maybe 70% success rate of <laughs> knock on door. Hey, we're from Skydive Spaceland or Greensburg or wherever we were. Greensburg at the time, Skydive Awesome. We got these brochures. We just want to put them on all your mailboxes. The girls would, or the guys would say, ah, no, we'll do it. Like, we don't want to bother you. We don't want to waste your time. We'll just, in and out, we'll knock it out real quick. And, man, you'd be amazed at how many of those Greek houses will let you just go stuff their mailboxes for them. Nice. And back to it, the Greek have money. It's, uh, that's, that sorority's fraternities usually are kids or usually family who do well. Every single semester, we had at least one sorority, at least one fraternity come in and do a day of skydiving. And, you know, that'll make a damn good weekend right there. Yep. So, <coughs> what else are you doing to bring business in? We love going to breweries. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say how are you getting drunk lately. Well, it's really great it um, well. environment to just go, you know, just hang out, talk about skydiving, and you know, usually wear our shirts, and we'll bring like coupons and business cards, and yeah, just get conversation going that way. I, I do feel like alcohol has gotten the skydiving industry a whole lot of business uh, oh, sure. I mean, how, how we many haven't times even talked about belize yet how we got our business yeah. in belize i sell really good when i'm drunk <laughs> 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 making it seem like Way even more fun. better than i do when i'm sober so <laughs> tell me about belize i don't know i don't know the story of how you guys ended up there oh yeah that shit was fun well, that was at the end so that was the winter <laughs> of 2016 2017 so 2000 when, when does the idea of uh of hey honey let's uh, go somewhere tropical for the for the winter Jojo, actually so jordan silver he's a did, flew jumpers in dubai arizona was a jump you know jumper in ogden he um was talking about how he was invited to fly rich Grimm, who owns tsunami skydivers uh needed a pilot Owned. was hoping to have um correct owned um needed a pilot for a 207 the 207 Isn't fell that through now, Scott, I've Oceanside, by the way i think so yeah boogies and whatnot that was last year was the last one but he jojo was like okay well if you're going to use a 182 there's you know i have the perfect 182 for you so he hit us up and we worked a deal and sure we'll fly our our 182 a few through a few countries and do a tandem business during um Basically, their dry season, which is um, about December through April. That's a, in bl- that's a perfect time. Right? I was like, that's awesome. perfect timing. Yeah. Cool. When okay. you're closed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that's what we did. Jordan, uh, <laughs> when I first started skydiving, I think he was just a flight instructor at the Ogden Airport, actually, when I started, uh, started jumping. But he flew, yeah, he said Dubai, Arizona, and... Uh, I always asked him, like, kind of what it, what was it like having an airplane full of people, and then everybody leaves and you're still there. What's it like? And he's like, well, yeah, I, I'd like to push the nose down, and then I point the nose of the airplane at like different vehicles and stuff that I see <laughs> on the ground, and then I make <laughs> machine gun noises. <laughs> like, that's totally not the answer I was like yeah. looking for at all. But I'm really, really happy that that's what you told me. Jojo's my one of my favorite people to fly with. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh who's not trying to ride with that guy? You know he's having a good time. <laughs> I, I was thinking of there, there was going to be like some emotional answer to my question, but nope, just machine gun sounds. Pew, pew. <laughs> pew, Super pew, pew. cool. <laughs> so um, was it difficult to find a place to operate in Belize? 
that found us. We he, that, that was already so, set up? Or? Yeah, Rich Grimm set up the entire thing down there. We were just contracted to come and fly the plane. I was a tandem instructor and the rigger for the operation. So, Did you guys land on the beach? Yep. Yeah. And who, who, own, who owns the beach? Some guy named Gus. I like Gus. <laughs> yeah. Can we go hang out with Gus? No, not now. No. Long Gus, story, they but they it's not, a, not There's an no landing area on Okay, I don't that. like Gus anymore. Yeah. What, what part no, of Belize Gus was Gus tried right? to take us to Honduras. He was trying to get us to start a drop zone in Honduras. He had it the biggest boat on that island, and he made sure we were aware that that was the biggest boat on the island. As He, he took us out fishing and did so some Gus stuff. So Gus is up to some other sketchy he, stuff. Well, he was trying to buy us off of them. Basically, oh, I gotcha. but we were working with them, and I don't do business like that. And so he was trying to convince us to go and start another drop zone and all this stuff. And we we're just like, you know, no, we're good. Thanks for the boat ride. Fun fishing. <laughs> <laughs> you and your morality, Stephen. It never get is a flaw. So, um, oh God, I had another question. It was about Belize. Um, the 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 property owners though like the, there there aren't any hoops that you guys had to jump through to to land where you were you were at we had a little bit of stuff but really so rich had a guy who's transplanted there he was a british fella that's got a couple of resorts and stuff and so he he was running the business out of a place called caribbean villas and we worked for them we were contracted to work for them and where at is and this? And he Belize? took all the paperwork. San Pedro. He did. Okay. Ambergris Key. It's the largest, you know, island off the coast. That's the only place I've been to in Belize, so I'm glad that that's where you said. It was yeah. fun. Spot. So basically operating out of a bar and then, you know, taking golf carts to get to the airport <laughs> and then having to take another golf cart to go and pick them up at the landing area. So it was just like total adventure time. Did you guys ride, uh, like, did you do many flights back and forth from uh, from the mainland? Um. I my dad came to visit and um, we took the ferry like the ferry is like an hour and a half we went mm-hmm. did like um, mainland excursions and at the end of the day it was like six o'clock I think um, I was like I really don't want to ride the boat I don't really don't want to get on the boat so I called Steve I was like can you send the plane <laughs> so he's like yeah as long as we're on the ground by you know civil twilight then it's legal to fly so yeah he came and picked up uh, my dad and me and yeah fifteen minutes. Versus an hour and a half, like and at ni- yeah, and at night it's just packed with folks that live and work and commute back and forth from mainland to the tourist island of San Pedro. Did, did you notice how many caravans fly in and out of that? Oh uh, yeah, I got to fly right seat several times. Did you, we we rode on the caravans there a few times. Sam and I we went uh, for my thirtieth birthday. We went on vacation there. It was so funny to ride in a caravan with like pilot and co-pilot, and they're talking and on autopilot. The, yeah, they're treating it like it's a real airplane. <laughs> it, it really is. It's <laughs> hilarious because you know, as soon as the pilot you know gets to like fifteen hundred feet, I'm used to rabbit twiddling his thumbs, like, okay, it's your time to go. So like he starts pulling out his, um, you know, his logbook, but he already puts it. He puts it on auto- autopilot. So it's like Spoiled. no fun. Spoiled brats. No fun. I don't think they get above a thousand feet. Fifteen yeah, hundred. Do they, is that what they got? Fifteen hundred yeah. to two thousand. Yeah. yeah, it didn't feel very high. Super fancy GPS, like two garments, just you know, massive screens, and they're just literally just puddle jumping, and it's the coolest job I think. Well, have you guys talked about any other uh, fantastic winter destinations to have a temporary drop zone? No. Do you think you'd do it again? No. Oh yeah, I'd do something like that. <laughs> the forces <laughs> eminent. <laughs> 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 no. Not flying our plane. God, like please that. fight about it right now. <laughs> no. 
There's nothing to fight about. I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so where where would you want to go? Oh, I don't know yet. I, that's when I later on when I need something else to excite. Carol, where something. would you let him talk you into doing this? Um, I'm very persuasive. I'll go pretty much anywhere. This uh, gambling our plane like that, going through like several countries. We didn't and gamble. It was fun. <laughs> of course, it was fun. So, wh- what's the craziest place you stopped for fuel? Uh, definitely Mexico. Yeah, we had. Uh, so the worst fuel stop slash exiting customs and all that, where we had to, we had two dogs traveling with us, and she had got a paddleboard, so that I was taken down, and plus all this other spare parts and different things like that because we can't really import anything. So there was a gamble in that you have a catastrophic. There's no way to get your plane out of there unless you take it apart and ship it on a barge, basically. Ouch. Because nobody will touch it. They won't work on it. You'd have to fly in your own mechanic to have anything done. That was in Belize. So, yeah, there was definitely gamble involved. We had local mechanics that I bought beer and things that would help us here and there with some stuff, but you, they wouldn't <laughs> pretty much do anything for you. What about the helicopter that, like, picked our plane up and turned it around? That was the thing that was really shitty. What happened? What? <laughs> <laughs> so we were shame. in... <laughs> Vihermosa or something, I think. Mm-hmm. This is turning more and more into a gamble. And yeah, we didn't gamble. It was fun. Yeah. And then all this crazy shit happened. N- no, What's there was the a reason? lot of stuff. You just don't tell your wife about those <laughs> things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, this particular stop, Jordan was in dealing with customs, trying to get all the stamps on the paperwork that you have to... The process is incredibly dumb. You go to one office and get a stamp, and they tell you to go here. And you go there and get the stamp. They say, okay, now now you got this stamp on this page. You have to go back to the original office and get this st- that stamp on this page. And then they do that five or six times where you have to keep going back <laughs> and forth to these mm-hmm. offices. So it's quite the process. Uh, Usually I wouldn't even know what was said. Jordan would just look at me and say, you owe him 600 pesos. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Does he speak Spanish? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's uh, Just enough to save us through that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's inside doing this rigmarole, and uh, <laughs> I was getting the fuel. And so I'm waiting for the fuel truck guys because they're filling a King Air that's two planes over. We have our plane taxied in, and we didn't tie it down because we're – just about to go we didn't think we needed to and then there's uh like a cessna 410 which is a twin engine sitting next to us and then a king air on the other side of that that they're fueling and then they've already brought the av truck over av gas truck over to fill our plane up and this helicopter bringing people back from the oil rigs decides not to taxi in and just comes in and puts the brakes on right over the top of those three aircraft. And so their fuel guys are getting sprayed. The guy got blown off the wing, and, like, everybody's all chaos. But our particular airplane was really light and started oscillating and rotating. (coughs) And I'm the only... I'm standing there trying... Holding on to the strut, knowing I can't do a goddamn thing to change the situation. (laughs) As our plane is turning, and very slowly, but the wingtip bumps the windshield... And so it stops that wing, and it starts hopping. Wait, wing tip bumps the windshield. Of, of the, the fuel truck. Fuck. And it starts hopping when making bigger <laughs> moves towards the airplane, the 410 that's next to us. 
And so I'm hanging on the wing, yelling obscenities like the guy could hear me. <laughs> and finally he clears us, and I'm literally two inches from having contact that other airplane. And the airport officials saw it happen, and they sent people over that could speak English to try and calm me down immediately. As I, <laughs> it's, uh, they, they leave. Someone calm down this fucking gringo is yelling. Well, no, they, they, there was a military operation on that field, and they were the ones fueling that other airplane. And those guys had guns drawn on the helicopter pilot and pulled him out of that helicopter because he wasn't supposed to do that, apparently. <laughs> yeah. He was supposed to taxi in. So that was a little bit exciting. <coughs> I thought our plane was going to get totaled in that moment. But. Via Hermosa? That's just, just uh, almost to Belize, right? The southern Mexican border, is that right? Yeah, That's somewhere in that area. It was a really good thing that I chose to fly commercial from Houston and not join that adventure. You wouldn't have liked it. No. <laughs> That's so funny because this whole, I can talk her into it. Mm -hmm. The look on her face is getting pretty serious right now, and I'm frightened. I mean, obviously all <laughs> well, it ended well, but I hear all this afterward, and of course he's already like liquored <laughs> me up, you know, on the beach, and just telling me, well, this is what really happened. I'm like, okay, great. You know some good spots mm -hmm. in Costa Rica. Yep. Which, yeah, there's a drops in there. Yeah. Yeah. Do I think Rich Grimm still does something in mm -hmm. Costa Rica. I'm not 100%. He lives there. Bob yeah, Doherty did something there. there, too. And, uh, I mean, there's a couple beach spots you could hit up there. Yeah. There's one, I think, open right now. You need a lot yeah. of money to run. It's so much more expensive down there. Yeah, I want to I want to work my few months up there, and then in the winter, I want to do something else. I want to learn new out. sports and do other things. Oh. I'll just do a fun jump here and there and go to see places and do some better stuff. But I'm, so I'm really curious how your perspective <coughs> as a skydiver has changed. Because you, you hear people talk about, oh, I want to own a drop zone. If I did, it would be like this, and it would be like this. And they have kind of this fantasy version <laughs> of what it would be like to be a drop zone owner. So I wonder if your perspective has changed much. I think you're a really realistic person and a smart enough person to not I think I was fairly realistic. I feel pretty much like it's gone the way I envisioned a lot of it. There's definitely times where it doesn't appear that that's the direction it's going. And you have to... What do you mean? You know, things start feeling like you're losing control of the whole thing or whatever. Okay. You know, we had, we've experienced a few things from, I found out that we were not operating in Sisters in March of 2017. While and we, we opened our doors in Madras in May of 2017. I didn't know that I had to move the drop zone. Mm -hmm. We had to come home and do our taxes <laughs> from Belize, but we were still committed through April 16th in Belize, that's our, what our contract went. So I was like, oh, by the way, Kara, we got to move. I was like, okay, I know. I'm going to call Rob at Madras, and then we'll be fine. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, come on. I was like, okay, we're moving. <laughs> I think one of, the, one of the things I tell skydivers regularly is if you own the drop zone, it's still not going to be the way you want it. You'll never, like, if, if I ran this place, it would go this way. It's like, no, you'll probably have satisfied outcomes. In other words, I will make compromises. There's things I want with a rating center done specific ways, but I have to understand that they're being done well, they're being done reasonable, that they're being done within a manner that is more than acceptable in yeah. my terms. So it's not necessarily done the way I want it done, but it is done in a very acceptable way. Yeah, you have to be able to <coughs> like evolve and kind of be somewhat pliable. You can't just be like super rigid. Like mm -hmm. This is what I wanted to do, and I'm going to stick to it. So, Steve, you say it's pretty realistic what you've gotten versus what you thought you would get. Is that realism included that thought process? 
Yeah, I think my expectation of the, of the drop zone has nothing to do with the financial side. <coughs> There's what I'm trying to do and what I set out to do is to build a space that is uh, is always going to be focused on the sport of skydiving. We will only, as an example, we book tandems to where it's only every other load. There's always a load in between tandems for fun jumpers, even though we only have a 182, and that's cutting off a margin of profit for the quick gain t in order to do certain things to grow that business. I want to keep it small for a period of time because I want the culture to become so ingrained that the people that, and we are doing that thing that's the thing that i really believe the most in in our drop zone is that core value of our family and the way that we teach them the value of safety we've created a culture where if there is an incident in the landing area on the canopy or break off i usually if i'm not on the plane or if i'm on the ground i see it or she sees it because we watch all the loads and <coughs> By the time they're in from the field, they've already had a discussion about it, come up with what they feel the solution is, and come to ask me if the solution is the right path and if I have anything to add, basically. So we're developing a culture that they're self-policing and they're creating this environment that if you don't fit that, and if that offends you that someone wants to talk to you about it, and I've taught them a lot how to do that in a respectable way listen to what the other person was thinking so you understand. Tell them what you were thinking so you understand. And then you will come to a resolution because nobody's attacking. And so they take that practice into, into their behavior, and it's creating an environment where we have a really awesome group of people jumping. And I want to keep that strong. <coughs> if I was to grow it super fast and throw a caravan in the mix now, I would lose that because I can't control it with that fast of growth. So I need to grow slow enough to maintain that culture for that to become the long-term goal. The, the, patience, <coughs> the patience to grow there, it's, that's one of those compromises that you've made. You're like, hey, I, I know what I want. Yeah. I have to be patient. So many drop zone owners will play that long game or that short game. I'm, I'm positive based off some conversations we've had, you could have a caravan there now and support it, mm -hmm. but you have a smaller core with a larger outside coming in and it weakens your core or you grow your core large enough to support the caravan and anybody who comes in now changes to your culture instead. Mm -hmm. And I love that idea of growth. Wh when I came to Spaceland, there were some changes that I wanted to see made over time and some of them were just my personal feelings. I You, you did the same thing as a instructor I saw you you affect some changes and people said why don't you suggest a rule change I'm like people follow rules begrudgingly at best they won't really necessarily do it a culture read a culture it might take us 10 years to make this culture be what we need it to be but now I sit around and, and think about when I first jumped at Spaceland we took off with the door open seatbelts on or off uh, you, you just never knew who had what on that's just, I think, amongst all of us, not a way we skydive. And, and I don't think all the jumpers, and I wouldn't say the instructors and the staff necessarily were that way. I think the school was very strong, but the fun jumpers were that way, and that's where the problem lays. But <coughs> over the years, man, grow the culture. And I love what you're trying to do to do that. 
So right now you have a core of like 30 plus or minus people. Do you have mm -hmm. a few people standing out that you think are your future leaders, the future guys who are going to make this the place? Yeah, we definitely have a handful of really amazing guys. <coughs> yeah. Our very first guy, Norm, <coughs> he's... Uh, He's a Ches Judy recipient for sure this year. He's nice. he's outstanding in that regard. You know what the Ches Judy recipient means, Nicholas? Yeah, it's a safety award, right? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first year I was at Spaceland, I believe Ori Cooper did. was the recipient. You're right. That uh, uh -oh. yeah, he was he was notorious for uh, checking chest straps. That's correct. Yeah. That dude walks on a trap zone, and I think he cuts people's chest straps because anytime he's in the loading area. Your chest strap is undone. I'm like, are you doing this to people? It's amazing. It, it's he's he is good at it, man. Um, we got to figure out this year's. I'm actually the person who picks them, so it's. Uh, I, I just tell Stephen, and Stephen goes, "Go with whoever." <laughs> 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 so I, I, I will figure it out, man. So what was this guy's name again? Your chest, Judy kid. Norm. Norm, Norm Coford. A one. Yeah. A1, your first A license graduate. Mm -hmm. How many licenses have you put out of there now? I think we're right at 20. How many this year? This year was... Seven or eight. I think eight. Last year was the... We didn't do as many. The first year we did... I want to say eight. Last year I, I think, think we, we did, did four nine or, five. or so. Wasn't last year the first year in Madras, though? Correct. So the fir the, just the foundation the start was rough. Also the space we were operating out of. I mean, we were we were operating out of a hall room. The, and then a little office that had a pool table in it. Yeah. And that was and then we had grass outside. So we really didn't. It was pretty meager. But. One of the things that you, you've talked about, you could get this bigger drop zone partially is from people. I, I now know to say the valley. I sound so mm -hmm. cool. Uh, coming over from the valley, and I, I noticed distinctly what the weather pattern was between the coast of the valley to the uh, mountains mm -hmm. or the, the high desert. Um, do you call it the high desert? It yeah. is a high desert. Okay, cool. Desert. Was, to me, it's a high desert. Totally. High desert. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in, in in the coast, it was commonly clear but cold. You know, it, we were there in July, and sixty degrees was the temperature. And to, dude, in Houston, Texas, that's just freaking mm -hmm. cold, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in the valley, man, it was cloudy. It was just it was a little dreary. It depended on the time of day. I think it just burnt off slow out there. It does. They get the fog. You know, yeah. like, say, you know, Skydive Oregon, Pacific Northwest Skydive, they seem to me like they open, like, around 10. They got to let mm -hmm. that morning fog, and, you know, they jump more into the evening. Um, whereas we need to, like, get going in the morning to beat the afternoon heat, keep the plane climbing optimally, so. So how many people do you see come from PNW, and, and I think Malala is, is Skydive Oregon? Mm-hmm. We have people from Toledo, uh, Eugene <coughs> Skydivers, um, We've got a couple like regulars that will will come over. Um, you know, it's still just hard to get some of you know these guys are jumping from like thirteen five turban, um, and also a lot of their fun jumpers are also um, instructors over there as well. So we get to go over and do the tunnel, and we do get a really good snapshot of the local community, the flying community in the state of Oregon, which is there's a lot of talent. Yeah, how's it going out there? What's I mean, what's going on? Flying, see a lot of free flying, a lot of belly flying. I say more people are trying to move into the free flying and wingsuiting. A lot of wing, like Gay. people getting into wingsuiting. <laughs> and, and like at our, you know, a lot of our guys and gals are doing. Um, I'm a sorry, lot of I don't tracking. mean to slander gays. Gays are nothing like wingsuiters. Wingsuiters are horrible. Gay people are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. A lot of tracking. But yeah, we do a lot of a lot of tracking at our, at ours, just you know, to increase 
you know, your free fall time and whatnot. So are you guys actually now doing we're getting tracking? now we're getting folks mm-hmm. that are getting into free flying, which is pretty cool. Now we want to offer, you know, for a few extra bucks, we'll take the plane to like twelve, twelve five. So now we know our our new engine is performing and more powerful, then we can start offering. You guys like are jumping from ten five. Mm-hmm. Oh, so short. Except for when <laughs> yeah. T- Steve and Timmy go fun jump, they'll take it all the way. Oh, <laughs> uh, dude, you got to get your fix on Timmy Hunkler. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. T Hunks. Such a great guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Who is this? Uh, Timmy. Timmy Hunkler started in Austin at the tunnel there, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's okay. that's where I met him. He he's was originally from Chicago. Chicago, yeah, that mm-hmm. sounds right. But uh, when Antonio uh, was around, yeah, him and Antonio oh, yes. were good buddies. We flew in the tunnel all together in uh, in Austin a bit. And then he still he still works for iFly. Not at, at all. No, not at all. He no, just coaches he there. He was on Pranavayu. Yeah. So the four way dynamic. Um, and now he's. He'll be starting his third season with us this year. Cool. So what's he do for you guys? I, I, th- I thought tandem I recognized the name. AFF. General badassery. So you've got you as a tandem instructor, AFF instructor. Mm-hmm. Him as a tandem AFF instructor. Yep. Anybody else? full? T- is he full-time with you guys? Timmy's full-time. And then there's a Marty. guy named Marty Jones that's moved to the area. That's I know Marty. a rigger yeah, and yeah, yeah. Very, mm-hmm. very talented individual in general. And he helps us out when we need help. Doesn't he also work on the airport as an AMP? Yes, he does. Okay, cool. So he's kind of it, it works great for him. He does a little AMP work, a little bit of skydiving work, balances yeah, out what he does. Yeah, it's great for all so of us. It's pretty amazing. He likes to take his kayak out and hide out in the water as much as he can. We love his wife Selena as well. So yeah. Selena works at VSC, right? She does. Yeah, but you know she'll come out to the drop zone, and I tell <coughs> my packer, I'm like, if you don't want nylon picked up, I mean she'll she'll just get right in there. She's like, if I see nylon on the ground, I was like, well, pack it right on up. You know uh, Stephanie, no, 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 uh, Jesus Criminy. What's his daughter's his name? His daughter's Stephanie Space Lance. Jesus Criminy, yep. What's her name? I don't remember I didn't get person. to meet her, but we'll... Oh, you didn't know her. You no, didn't meet did. Stephanie Jesus Criminy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's a really <laughs> kind person. A uh, Packer girl. Yes. Uh, Jesus Christ. Is this someone that worked at Spaceland? Yeah, she, she worked does. at Spaceland. I think she got there Dark like the hair. year after we, we left. No, I haven't met her. Oh, my God. I can't think of her. I'll, I'll tell you about her anyways. Uh... It's you don't know the Jones family, do you? And you oh, know Katie Jones, Katie Jones, Katie. Where did I get Stephanie from? Katie, Katie Russell was her name when she first showed up, and then she went back to Katie Jones. Her dad is Marty Jones, so that's that's the guy. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. yeah. Um, I've heard her talk about her skydiving family before. That makes sense. It's yeah. pretty epic. It's yeah. super huge family. Bill Jones is their dad, uh, known from Alaska skydiving, also uh, drop zone in. Alaska. Arizona. And they did the solstice. Yep, they did the solstice thing in Alaska, and in the summer they had a, uh, or in the winter they had a place in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, sorry, uh, so you've got those two guys uh, helping you out. Mm-hmm. You've got anybody packing during the weekdays? Yeah, one of the jumpers that we've taught that does pack on uh, weekends. A lot of times the instructors Friday pack during the week. And where do you live? O- on the drop zone, off the drop zone, near the drop zone? We have an RV out at the airport. But we don't live there. We'll stay there on nights when we work late, and we'll come back in the morning. But we have a place in Redmond that we live at. And what about t- uh, Timmy or the other staff? Well, he was for the first few years. He's been in Portland half the time and over there half the time. And now he actually just converted his Prius and lives in that at the moment. But you know how tall he is. Yeah, what a cr- yeah, what <laughs> it's a hippie amazing. too. Jesus. Yeah, he makes it work. He's got Good for him. We are allowed to have parties, and people can stay the night as long as it's. They consider that business related. The yep. city that we work with and the county we work with, they're very pro 
aviation and very behind everything we're doing. And, you know, they, they've included that, that we're allowed to have parties and, you know, people can stay the night if they've been drinking and stuff. It's we lease property beyond area. the hangar. So we've got folks that'll come over from the valley or wherever. The and valley. <laughs> And you know they s- you know we they can legally park temporarily. We don't have hookups for them, but they've got access to um, shower their showers and, and whatnot that. at the FBO, and they can s- camp out for the weekend. And, and if you got trailers, so many dump sites I noticed in Oregon. I mean, y- mm-hmm. y- there's so many places. That there's you tons can of BLM land. There's plenty of places to camp. If you don't want to camp on the airport, where you can go camp like you know anywhere within like a 30 minute, 15 to 30 minute radius. So there's a couple things I want to hit up before we get too carried away or too far and we lose track of stuff. Mm-hmm. Things I want to mention and talk about. I want to know about the, uh, what was that thing where the sun disappeared? The eclipse. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> the solar eclipse. The great American eclipse. Oh, man. You guys actually had an event for that. You guys had a boogie. We did. We made it happen. I think you guys got a otter from Hill? From yeah. Hill? Yeah. We did. Came over from Prairie. So the... Lost Prairie Boogie, and then um, Susie sent it over from there. Excellent. It worked out perfect. How, you guys had that plane come in just for the day? No, for four days. Four we, did four a, we did a full boogie. Four day. How many jumpers turned out to this? I had 86. We they were required it. to um, pay nice. a registration fee, and I made them buy 10 jump tickets. And then if you wanted to be on the totality load, which you know, obviously there were 23, it was... Um, 100 bucks additional and then we did loads previous and you know as the sun was eclipsing and then moving or the moon was moving away that was another 50 bucks so and then they had to camp dry camp on the uh at the field and the logistics to get it set up are pretty impressive so i want to start with the first thing that you said steve is you guys capped it at a cap you put a cap on who could register correct yeah on the number um i missed it i could have done you know, another 10 people or so uh, for filling up the plane the rest of the way. So I was a little off on the number, but capping it was to make this a jumper's boogie. The whole yeah. point was I wasn't going to sell $2,000 tandems for that eclipse load where they wouldn't know what they did anyway. If I could create an event that was all about skydivers for it, then I could give those slots to skydivers but i couldn't do it just for one jump but i could do it for an event and so we set up the event around that but with what was happening in the city we were in there was a lot involved because nasa announced madras as the epicenter for viewing the eclipse and so Uh a town based on weather and probability of clarity but a town with six thousand people is now (laughs) expecting one hundred fifty thousand human influx to come in there I didn't yeah. realize that NASA announced that was the epicenter. No. So you and so which happens to be actually our home drop zone. So yeah. we were in a pretty decent location in order to have such an event. Dude, there's so many things you've said tonight, and just kind of this boogie reiterates it all. I don't care about selling a two thousand dollar tandem to some idiot who's not going to know what they were doing. They're not an idiot, but they're just so blown out of their mind they can't it's appreciate uh, it. It's an overwhelming moment for them. Let's so give it's it to not the adding to it. Let's give it to the people who appreciate and understand it. And and so much of what you said caters to the sport and community of skydiving. And so it's so easy in a small Cessna drop zone to get lost 
in the tandems because you really you have limited slots. Mm-hmm. Tandems are a huge part of how you grow and how you make your business, but yet you're still so focused on the fun jumpers, man. Because that's the lifeblood of long term. I had a DZO who once said, not once, and he said it every freaking weekend to a to a tandem to a fun jumper. You're walking down the road and you see a hundred dollar bill and a roll of nickels. Which one are you going to pick up? And I always said both. Yeah. But the tandem student makes you a hundred dollar bill. The fun jumper makes you roll of nickels or five bucks. And he's like, "Why do I want to roll of nickels? Because five bucks adds up a lot. They're your lifeblood. They're your backbone. They're the community. They help. They bring in your next students. They bring in your next tandems. They help you clean the place. They're your blood said and done." Mm-hmm. They become your instructors and they carry on your culture too, and that's the ultimate reason to keep building them up. Because as I have demand, they will come in and fill those shoes, but they're already ingrained to the culture. They can carry that culture. You're not trying to convert somebody who learned in another culture, and it's going to help that sustainability of that. It's incredible to see, you know, after three the guys that have started with us, you know, our first year where they are now. And, one, you know, Blake Johnson started with us in 2016. He is now the sales and marketing rep at VSE. So I know Blake's name. Why do I know Blake's name? Which is name? pretty incredible. We've got three yeah. that just got their coaches rating. And uh, the right on. Jonah who was poking, packing for us last year is creeping up on that time and that jump number where he's going to probably be doing tandems for us by next summer. Yes. Man, if... Not threatening anybody's job at your drop zone right now, but you have an opening. Let's pretend you have an opening. Yeah. No, we're not pretending. We do. <laughs> we do. We do have an opening. You've got two candidates sitting right in front of your face. Actually, I'm going to give you three candidates sitting right in front of your face. All three seem to be outstanding individuals, nice guys. Can't say anything mean about any of them. Real good personalities. One has a handful, six months to a year worth of experience. One has five years of experience. The other has 10 years of experience. Everything else being the same, which one of those TIs are you going to hire? I'd probably take the coachable one, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's in the middle or where he's at. It depends on his personality. So, if personalities were all the same, I I, I get you. You know, I would probably take somebody that was able to do hand cam over someone that wasn't. Okay. In the, you know, as far as a sense of profitability and things like that. But, um, more the attitude and the energy over jump numbers would be factored for me. That's really, you hit what where I want, the two things I wanted to hear. And, and so often people look at hiring the veterans because, man, they're so good. It's like, dude, you can train skill. You can't train personality. I met this guy, Steve. He was super nice. He was super friendly. He's going to end up talking to my, my customers well. He's going to treat everybody well. He's going to create a culture that I like. I suggested to Steve he does something while we were talking. He did it. He, he, he'll learn from me. I like that mindset, and it really goes back to, again, the culture of the drop zone you're trying to breed. Mm-hmm. Man, but, uh, Sky, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, the Pacific Northwest where you chose to land is really, I think you now know, something my wife and I have really fallen in love with. We made it up to Bend, and we traveled thr- through the northwest corner. I'm going to say the northwest corner. Would that be mm-hmm. fair from Bend up to yeah. Hood River, across the Cannon Beach, back down. You did the mm-hmm. awesome loop, for sure. Oh, my God, man. Um, <coughs> and we, we went there with the idea that Pacific Northwest could be where we could land one day. And one thing through tonight that I'm very happy to know is when we do, or if we do choose the Pacific Northwest as our home, I know for sure there's a drop zone I can join. Because, you know, I, there's a lot of options out there. And I have a lot of friends at different places who say different things. A- and good, bad, and different, it doesn't matter. They could all be great. 
They all can. But I just like the spirit you guys are growing. So I look forward to coming back. And when we do make it back, um, I might not bring my rig. Can I borrow one? Of course. Sure. Sweet. Uh, then we'll make a job. <laughs> and I'm sure Val can get something, too. Absolutely. But, uh, dude, I, I look forward to, to making that home. But why the Pacific Northwest, why there? All the things to do. Sure, sure. I mean, for me, before I even met Steve, you know, I was, you know, I was a marine biologist and I was traveling to Portland to for conferences. And I was like, this was in like 2010. I was like, Ooh, yes, I'm so going to like go to grad school and move my work up to the Pacific Northwest. Well then flash forward a year later, I'm starting to skydive. I was like, Ooh, you know, not knowing about central Oregon. I was just like, Oh yeah, I don't really want to move to where it's cloudy. And then, you know, fast forward, he's like central Oregon. He's like, well, let's go see central Oregon. I was like, Oh yeah, perfect. I would have never thought central Oregon. So now I'm like four yeah. hours away from the coast, and um, I now have opportunities, you know, to spend my winters on uh, offshore. Still getting to use my degree, doing um, marine mammal observations for various projects and companies, which I'll start next year. When you hear offshore, Nick, what's the first thing you think of? Right. Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, I, yeah. Think yeah. I did a lot of my work <laughs> in the Gulf of Mexico, but no, we were talking like Atlantic, Hawaii, you know, Pacific. Oh, more specifically, I think he was thinking the same thing. I was like oil, oil rigs. rigs. Yeah. yeah, I'm like oil exactly. rigs. Well, so you're leather neck. These are more like properties or companies that are trying to start up like offshore wind turbines. So, um, yeah. It's such a beautiful country, it's man. Amazing. The, the, the countryside is gorgeous. Um, what's your favorite? Like, so there's so many great spots in Oregon. We're gonna go back. I'll tell you one of the things we're gonna do that we missed. I didn't know about this till after we'd come home. But the uh, Trail of Ten Falls. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know that one. It's it's just the other side of the Mountain of Sisters. Um, look oh, at it. Yeah, yeah. It's a t- seven point some mile hike, mm-hmm. and you've got Ten Falls. Uh, a short one or two. Uh, I think the tall one's like a buck eighty or two hundred. Is that in there. Sahaley it's Falls out in area? Silver no, Sahaley's got like Silverton. three or four yeah. falls connected, right? Yeah, Coosa and Sahaley, I think. Yeah, yeah we've done those. Yeah, we've I done that. I've done uh, Tokatee. Uh, we've been to Crater Lake, uh, down in Umpqua. The Blue Pool is connected. The Blue Pool to is. The is uh, that's uh, been Sahaley. closed. Yeah, yeah. The last times we went. Yeah. Same area. That's a Sahaley. Mm-hmm. That's what you're talking about, though. The one he's talking about is more like Silverton. Like it's a Silverton yeah. sounds very familiar. Yeah, so it's out that way. So just past, yeah. um, like, if you're going the Sanium yeah. to, yeah. like, Eugene. So we walk by, the, you can walk by in Fort Falls. So the waterfalls is a huge thing I love. I l- absolutely love waterfalls. We w- I went up into Washington to find a couple falls as well. Um, that's something we're going to do. Other than that, what do I need to make sure I see? What's really cool is doing the Pacific Coast um, Trail. So going up PCH, and down. Yeah. The Pacific PCH. Coast Highway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can get on the um, the Pacific Crest Trail. Multnomah Falls is probably the most like iconic. Tourist trap ever. Yeah. But then, <laughs> you know, we've got Smith Rock right by us, which <coughs> is, you know, climbing Mecca. So there's great trails. I don't know if you're into, like, you know, getting into climbing. There's plenty of fishing. And then you can jump off a bridge. Like, our friends have a bungee jumping bridge that runs, like, May through September. Where is that at? That's in Terrebonne. So it's about 25 minutes from the drop zone. So, yes, we do, North? like, south on 97, like, as if okay. you were going to our drop zone, like, sisters. Yep. Um, so, yeah, there's the bungee bridge. And then it's there's the a great paragliding. There's America. plenty of base jumping and paragliding, speed flying sites. This is all Smith Rock still? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. just the general area, but that's Smith Rock that you have. So paragliding, how is paragliding in that area? 
Uh, it's very well. They it's seem huge. to teach a lot. Yeah, there's an area okay. called Pine Mountain that they do a lot of instruction and everything out there. There's like three or four sanctioned sites in that area. One of them's up really close to us. Yeah. I really want to learn to paraglide, and I have goals of where to go, what to do. Um, uh, a couple friends of mine have a, a house out at Point of the Mountain in Utah, yeah. mm-hmm. and so they've offered me to stay there, and, and that has that's a great spot. Ultimately, been my goal to go learn. But the idea of moving to Oregon, I want to be able to paraglide. That is definitely fit there. What would you say I need to do, Steve, if I sh- next time I show up? In order to learn to paraglide? No, good place to go, oh, man. Any of the do. Pacific Northwest. Man, it's hard to call one better than the other. There's so many good ones. Um, Crater Lake is a really amazing spot to see. Um, Painted Hills, There's they call it the Seven Wonders of Oregon, but I can't remember all of those. I know Painted Hills Pillars, and Crater Lake. Um, and Multnomah's on there. They got the fossil, mm-hmm. but John Day is a beautiful countryside. Fossil beds of John Day. Haystacks um, on that Seven Wonders. Is yeah, yeah Cannon so Beach is my favorite. And then you can go to Astoria, of course, where the Goonies is filmed. Goonies was filmed a in lot Astoria. at uh, also uh, Haystack. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a lot of scenes. Uh, that's like just and the town uh, south. What what is uh God damn Crescent Beach is mm-hmm. just north of Cannon Beach. Yes. Mm-hmm. You got to hike into it. A lot of it was shot in that mountainous. We we spent a bit of time on Cannon Beach while we were there because God yeah. dang it's. I will go back to Cannon Beach. That's one of the draws of living there. So far, Bend is like the spot that we're looking. Uh, not yeah. Bend, mm-hmm. but that area. Yeah, you should look at like, you know, Redmond. Redmond in is between a really good town. I like it. Redmond and Jefferson County, where we are, is going to always be agricultural. But it that's I would say property values are the most affordable there. It's interesting, very tricky housing market in Central Oregon, for sure. A lot of the Bay Area folks are, you know, locating there. Mm-hmm. They're selling their homes, you know, and they can come and, you know, just pay cash for something really nice. Dude, Ben's expensive as It is, and I hate to blame the California, because I'm a transplant too, but that's what you hear most is the, you know, the complaining of the um, the folks from the Bay Area coming up or anywhere from California. But I think it's all going to balance out. I, there's so much to so much space to expand. And I feel safe because I don't want to live in the middle of a city. I want to live out in uh, someplace where I can stand on my back porch and yeah. take a leak and nobody see me naked. Yeah. And like we can get to the tunnel in two and a half hours. I mean, I was going to the tunnel every other week for the first half of the year competing in their local wind league and doing like you know, little tunnel comps every mm. other week. So, you know, just hopping over the mountain to get to Portland, as you experience, it really is no big deal. It's like no different than driving from Houston to Austin, which I did all the time. Actually, it's really a lot different. Except for it's beautiful. It's, yeah, but it's as far as time boring wise, as heck to get to Austin. Yeah. <laughs> you can even haul out. But the only thing is, but you got to drive. Like, all the speed limit is usually 55 in Oregon. Two lane roads. So... And I noticed, but it's, it's beautiful. So you're just like, oh, I don't mind, like you know, driving a little slower and taking in the scenery. I drive pretty slow in general. Yeah. And I noticed in Oregon, I was going fast. Yeah. And I drive slow. People are always passing me in Texas. In Oregon, I was like, man, I'm slow here. Everybody wants to pass me. Everybody thinks they know what's going on with me. Yeah. Um, so. And then of course there's Mount Bachelor. You've got two ski resorts. You've that's got what I want to ask Mount about is skiing. How is skiing in Oregon? We. Uh, we haven't spent that much time on the mountains there. Um, we missed the winter where they just had, you know, bukus of snow. We I'll be finding out this winter for yeah, sure. Yeah, this winter for sure. Because that's what I, I, one of the things I didn't realize till recently, because skiing for me, uh, Hawaii, we had none. Southern California, we had Big Bear Snow Summit. I didn't go much further than that because we didn't need to. 
It was like it wasn't great. It wasn't you know awesome stuff, but you know I figure Colorado is great for skiing. I hear a couple other places. I found out New Mexico is good for skiing. Yeah. Uh, Oregon. Do you know anything about Oregon skiing? Never, uh, never have I ridden there, but yeah, Mount Hood and Mount Bachelor are definitely the two, uh, two that come to mind. Yeah. Okay. There so a lot of people really like it. That that's a big tourist destination for them is the skiing and riding, <coughs> but they're hit and miss in the winters nowadays. Well, who you, you know. should ask is uh, Matthias Gerard. You know, super Frenchy. Nick, you know, super Frenchy. Yeah, Matthias, ski base jumper. Gosh, he was. I can't. Ob- I, I, I know his name. He's a French dude. He's a crazy French dude. He's hilarious. They're all crazy. crazy. Yeah, French dude. (laughs) That doesn't narrow (laughs) it down. (laughs) You just said French, French dude. Really French dude. Um, Yeah. Let me see. I'll I'll, I'll look him up here and see if I recognize him. He's he's a really good shit. I like that kid. One of the things that you mentioned earlier is that extreme temperature swing was really, really nice to be chill in the evening, carry a jacket. But one of the other things I noticed, man, I have never had a Blackberry like the Blackberries (sighs) I had up there. We had some blackberries at a restaurant for breakfast. Ended up stopping by a farmer's market. Got more blackberries. I love blackberries. I can eat them all day long. You get fresh everything. I mean, you can go hiking for mushrooms. You Cherries, blackberries, our um, livestock, and a lot of our produce is incredibly local. While we were in Washington, I took some of my, my Mount Rainier cherries with Mount Rainier in the background mm-hmm. and took a picture, a selfie with one. I don't <laughs> take selfies often, but when I do, it's cherries. It's cherries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, the f- what, what, it's, it's so much better up there, man. It really is. Like I do miss like Houston and like my family, which I'm grateful I get to spend the winter here and can just kind of spend some extended what time. What do you miss about Houston? Just my family and friends. Okay. That's a... I mean, all that's, the mountains. That's, that's really about <laughs> it. Just I like that there was a tone in your voice suggesting that there's nothing to miss. Did, you, did you catch that? What do you miss in Houston? It, just the people. Other than that, it made like, me really question it. Yeah. Oh. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> if it's not clear, I do miss the thunderstorms. And last night was pretty epic. I have yeah. a lot of wonderful friends and quote unquote family here in Houston. Not blood family, just just love family people that I have been known for. I've known for years. Uh, I love the robust economy of Houston. It's a yes. very great place to live that way. After that, what do you love about Houston? It doesn't snow. I'm pretty cool about that. It did snow twice last year. It did. Oh, my God. Oh, man, I really miss, you know, evacuating for hurricanes and mold. No, not at all. Like, mole, 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 I really mole. don't miss, miss things other than the people. So I'll complain life. about the cold, but I've never lived. I've lived in Indiana where it snows, but it's flat. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to do when it's cold. Fucking that's worse. Cold. It's <laughs> that's why I'm here this winter. How cold does it get in the? High but it's actually colder in Dallas right now than it is. So this year's kind of a weird winter. Like it's colder in Dallas this weekend than it's going to be in Central Oregon. Did you spend last winter in Madras? Yes, we did. Yeah. How how is it? How's the winter there? Um, last week I worked before coming down here. So a week and a half ago, the high was like 38. And the low was around mid-teens. It's windy. And then we'll have another next week it might be 65. So it really fluctuates quite a bit. So we get really cold periods and then pretty warm. So there's jumpable times in the winter, and it's pretty much worth it to be around on the weekends and keep our jumpers current. And yeah. we still have students that are in the middle of the program, so if we can get them current, we'll do it. They say there's there's a cold heat and a war, or excuse me, a, a humid heat. And a dry heat. We're dry. Fuck that. But it's Same so thing as windy. cold. Uh, do you feel like it's... Oh, absolutely. So wet, A wet cold you can't hide from. Okay. It'll come through every layer, but you can dress with layers and you're comfortable there. I know the cooler times we spent in Oregon, the temperatures we were at were like 
it's really that cold. We didn't feel like mm-hmm. it was as bad as what we expected. Uh, unless you're in the wind. Uh, the wind yeah, cuts. And the sun yeah. really, it can it does its job. Yeah. Yeah. So... I, dude, I, w- I could sit here and talk about Oregon for the next three days. I want to go back to your student program as we get to wrap and push things out. Uh, one downside of assessing the drop zone is, hey, let's take two AFF instructors with this one AFF student, and let's go take a plane. And, oh, man, we just basically filled the plane. Maybe a fun jumper can join us. Maybe not. And so it's really hard to run a traditional AFF program, mm-hmm. two-instructor program, at a small Cessna. What are you guys doing about that? We do the two-tandem progression First jump is the experience to see what you think. Second <coughs> jump is training and getting them prepared for that. I find the biggest benefit of the level two tandem is under canopy. Yeah. And being able to give them a hands-on demonstration of how to fly a parachute properly and where to kind of move their arms and where the power comes from and get some of that basis in their very first time of moving the controls. And then... From there, we go to single stru- single instructor AFF for a series of 10 skydives. And then they're cleared to solo once passing those 10 jumps off of. And by the time they get to somewhere around 20 jumps, then they're feeling ready to challenge the license and the swoop to docks, and we'll bring them back with a coach to get those kind of later progression things off of their A-licensed card. And then by the time they've had 25 jumps, everybody's been able to pass that criterion so far. I want to go back and fill in a lot of gaps with the program now. And traditionally, what we call AFF progression programs have become, uh, they're they're not becoming any more popular, but what we would call AFF transition programs. And, And I'll define the difference easily. A traditional AFF progression, or excuse me, tandem progression program is three tandems. After three tandems, a student converts to two instructor release dive, category C, level three at a lot of places. Um, that's a tandem progression. Mm-hmm. Uh, tandem transition, Spaceland is, and it sounds like you are okay. as well, uh, a couple tandems to clear them to single instructor work and then going back to an earlier level and then building back up from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, tandem transition programs have become so much more popular and really Roger Nelson was one of the catalysts Sky mm-hmm. Chicago the AFP program there and um, one of the first things that I, I want to ask you is I know at some of the space lands we've had there has been people attacking and accusing the drop zone of doing unsafe practices now things have changed um, mm-hmm. and we'll get into those ideas uh, Spaceland hasn't had to change just people's understanding has changed yeah have you had any resistance or pushback from jumpers in the area doing that not and so far, no. but we're much smaller <coughs> scale, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of exposure. They have a lot more exposure than what we do, so do it would show itself earlier here. Are you the only drop zone in the area doing a single instructor progression like this? No, I think the others provo- offer it as an option. Okay. They give them the option to go traditional or... So it's not like it's a foreign thing, you're not having to fight a new battle. No, and the people that have come in... <coughs> um, have really respected the idea, mm-hmm. but also the word of mouth from the people that we have taught has been a pretty big factor in the people that are coming into the program, and they believe in it so much that they're already sold by the time they get to that tandem. They've been talking to three fun jumpers who learned through the, our, our program now, <coughs> and so we find pretty common by the time you get to the tandem, they already know what they want to do, and are trying to sell you on taking their money. But <laughs> I'm sold, buddy. Give it to me. Yeah. 
So uh, fortunately, USPA had made a point of clarity. They actually put in the policies that says a tandem can get you to single instructor work. Um, what do you have your students do on those first couple tandems? Like first tandem, what am I going to do at your DZ? First tandem is learning about kind of as we're climbing out, paying attention to certain aspects as far as, you know, maybe not dragging a seatbelt out with you and things like that to um, mostly on that jump is largely the experience of seeing what mm -hmm. as far as free fall portion. And then once we open up, I'll put their hands in the toggles and have them fly us around. And I treat it as if they are an AFF student on a radio and how I talk to them even from the first one. But that's because I know if they come in the future, then that's going to help me. But I don't necessarily have that written as like an SOP for how we do it. Um, but I'll try and teach them how to fly the parachute as much as I can right from the very first time. And then after letting them fly the parachute around, I'll typically show them some of the capability of a parachute. Um, we fly only Micro Sigma with 340 mains, even though we're at 2,500 feet and we'll have 7,000 foot density altitudes. That's the only tandem rig that I have. <coughs> They're Sigma 340s? Mm -hmm. Do you think you're going to have to change what that canopy choice is as you grow and have other tandem instructors? Because right now you can be very peculiar or picky with your tandem instructors and you have quality guys. As you grow, do you think you might have to have larger if mains available I, um, for bigger TIs? No, I do feel like there is a m maximum size I would hire as far as a TI. Okay. Um, as far as weight limit. Especially with, with a 182, 182 you have to consider those things in a caravan in the future. Uh, there's definitely a potential for that change, but I don't see that as a near future change. So the potential is there long run, long term. I want coachable people. The two things that I won't keep around is incompetent and incapable. If you're not learning or don't give a shit, then I'm not going to keep you. But I want coachable people, and people can be taught how to fly. I find that even on a straight in, that canopy provides me more lift and a better shutdown than flying a 370 every single time because you have speed to transition into lift. Yeah. And if you have no speed and they flare high, they're actually worse off on a 370, in my opinion, than on a 340. How do you feel? I mean, in what way? Because that canopy continues to sink and doesn't stall out and stall surge you. The 370 has enough lift that it actually stops you in that high flare and it stall surges after the 340 typically doesn't stall surge as bad and actually continues to sink and they can hold that flare and it's not a bad landing. I find it more forgiving. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. I know uh, the Icarus 330, is, it's the same way. I'd rather have the 330 over the 360 because it shuts down way better. You have more lift. Taking a 280-pound tandem student, I actually have better landings I've than a 220-pound tandem mm -hmm. student on the, on, the, on the Icarus 360s. Oh. It's been years since I've jumped a Sigma. Uh, God damn, 15 years since I've jumped a Sigma. So Well, these are Sigma 2s. So when they were jumping those them, at all. you probably <laughs> only were on the Sigma 1, which yeah, opened absolutely. a lot more in a stall surge, kind of like a reserve, <coughs> um, because they set both brake settings, and now mm -hmm. they've reduced it to only one. Uh, just the outers? Uh, mm. Just your primary. Okay. Your, your secondaries are not still. <coughs> so on that first tandem, you have them fly with you some. In free fall, are they pulling at all? Or are they wearing an altimeter all? No. Mainly just the experience of like, hey, man, here we are mm -hmm. on a skydive. Let me check it out. Let me gather my senses. Mm -hmm. Tandem to your, their second jump, what are they going to do? Second jump, they're responsible for calling the climb out and 
giving nice. the count after after they receive the thumb up thumbs up from the instructor. The intent of that skydive is pretend I don't exist. It's your job to save your life. I'm going to watch. If you need me, I'll give you a reminder through hand signal. But we do a front flip out the door, and I explain to them that the purpose of this front flip, yes, it's going to be fun. But you need to realize your orientation, so you have to keep your eyes open and see the ground coming, sky. When you see the ground that second time, then you need to open up. If you open up and your momentum was to carry you over to your back, the only thing that's going to fix this situation is your arch. So on a, especially in a slow 182, it wants to do that. Yeah. And so I utilize that <coughs> nature of that flip as a training tool to really make them emphasize that arch because as soon as they think they've arched, you start to roll to your back, and then they really do. <laughs> So but, true, though. And then it pulls you back yeah. around, but it's going to come around anyway. Just that's yeah. part of leaving that slow plane on the front flip. And then after that, I have them, I tell them they're going to have five seconds to pick a heading. When they've picked a heading and done an altimeter check, I'm going to start to turn them one way or the other. When you realize you're turning, I want you to correct back to the heading that you had. If you make the correction and have lost the heading, pick a new heading. And then as I see you check your altimeter, I might change the direction I'm turning you. So I only focus on altimeter awareness, heading control, and the pull as far as free fall. And then under canopy, it's their job to help me clear the brakes. They've been explained that when they clear the brakes, they're going to have to feel the release. And so I'm teaching them to release both brakes on that tandem. And then they help me assist in the controllability check. So they do the square straight line slider down. And then they clear the brakes and do the control check. And then I fly the rest of that tandem talking to them as if they're on a radio. And I just leave my hands up high. So they fly the entire pattern. And I only assist them on the practice flares and the landing flare. But I have them do brake turns and then versus aggressive turns. And then we'll do more you know, aggressive high performance maneuvers or max avoidance type turns. And kind of the fun portion of that jump. I just love hearing you say max avoidance. <laughs> uh, USPA calls them maximum performance reverse canopy turns, and I can barely say that. I teach USPA courses all the time, so I, I'm good at saying it. And at Spaceland, years ago, I rebranded it to max avoidance turns because that's what you're turning one way and then trying to avoid somebody. You're simulating avoid. It's It was so much easier to say. Mm -hmm. And to hear that that word is continuing and carrying on in other places, it just, I don't mind maximum performance reverse canopy turns as a terminology. Max avoidance just is so much easier. Yeah, but if they're not an engineer, they don't know what you said. Dude, I, I'm stoked I said it right twice in, in a minute, so I'm pretty. It, it's not easy to deal with. How, how much time do you spend training a level two before you actually get to the jump? Probably just over 20 minutes. And how much of that uh, time is spent talking about pattern? Canopy traffic and pattern? Yeah. Um, that's typically a walk with the arms up type scenario where you walk the practice and then pretend to flare. Um, but I don't think that on the tandems that a very large portion per se is, is on the ground for the flare. But under canopy, I'm talking to them about what they're doing and why. And I also preface them that I understand there's an immense information coming at you under canopy. And I know you don't understand everything you're hearing, but when I come to the level three ground school and I start talking about this, now I have a relatable to go back to. And then they can tell me why we did it and they can relate it to that class. So I, that's the big reason I want it in there 
is so they have some frame of reference for when I'm telling them how they're going to do it by themselves. I, I love, it, it, Steve Boyd has the same mentality. I have the same mentality. I, you have the same mentality. I, I love it, and it's treat every single person as if they're going to get hooked. Mm -hmm. Because, man, A, it's very easy to get hooked to skydiving. It's even easier when somebody treats you respectfully like an adult who's learning something. Mm -hmm. So your your retention rate has got to be tremendous. How is that going for you? How how often are you seeing those level tandem level twos coming back and taking your ground school? Quite a bit, actually, I would say. Um, that partially in the culture, one of our philosophies is we don't need everybody. So I don't How mind I? losing a student. I don't mind a personality. <coughs> clashing with what we are building and deciding that's not their place by all means i'll tell you everywhere you want to go have fun but um the ones that we typically get that especially if they're there on a day with fun jumpers that have been approached by these guys that are super excited about their new hobby in life um they're so infected by that energy that you can hardly stop them from coming back you know, that's where they want to be. You've got them coming back to, to now AFF, and you say it's 10 jumps with an instructor? Mm -hmm. 10 jumps. You guys are wearing cameras. Yes, every jump. What's, man, I, it's so hard. I, it's such a loaded, easy question. Some people say wearing cameras is a huge advantage, and if you don't see that advantage, I think you're either lying or foolish. Um, now, I do understand where people say the disadvantages is the hazards, it's the snag hazards, it's the distraction, it's these other things. Um, I understand their statements. doesn't mean I agree mm -hmm. with their statements, right? I think if an instructor is overwhelmed by a camera, they are in over their head on an AFF jump anyway. If you can't put a camera on your head and push record and stop and, and just do your job, then you shouldn't be an instructor. And it's so hard because I agree 100% with that statement. But then somebody's going to go back and say, well, it's just that easy to wear a camera. Yes, as an instructor, because you have <laughs> enough skydiving experience to understand skydiving. Mm -hmm. You can't sit there and turn that argument going, well, if it's just that easy, I got 100 jumps. I can just push buttons and forget it's there. <laughs> no, skydiving is not second nature to you yet. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's a distraction. It's a snag hazard. How, does you how do you feel about that statement? Um, it's a danger up there. I, I've had my camera caught you know maybe you're coming in for a stop i've definitely had it snagging somebody's um you know gripper on their leg as their mm -hmm. leg was coming by and kind of jerked my head to the side i've had i've seen video where i was the cross partner and the student held the pilot chute and while i was trying to clear it from mm -hmm. their hand i can't see that that bridle went around my camera like three times but cleared on its own so the potential is absolutely there. Yeah. You can't argue that it that it doesn't create well, some kind of opportunity. What kind of mount are you using then? Uh, at that time, I had the sticky mount, but I I have not made the rule to go to the roller mount. But we've been discussing that as starting this season with that rule yeah. because if Jimmy somebody where's the roller? Yeah, we have several on the drop zone already, but I haven't broke down and bought one. It's uh, I, I'm a huge advocate of it. Um, I've loved and wanted a roller mount for a long time, and I think any jumper wearing it. You know, some jumpers will argue, like, man, I'll never deploy my mane in a way that it'll snag my camera. Okay, let's pretend. Let's just pretend that's true. Let's just go with you're Superman, and you're perfect, and that's never going to happen. 
When you have the spinning diving malfunction, you're going to cut away sideways and your reserve lines are going to scrape by the side of your helmet. And now it's going to snag your camera. That's a bigger issue. And that happened to our buddy, you know, Hank. Mm-hmm. Hank, True. that's exactly what happened to him. And he had a, a sticky mount GoPro and it s- fortunately snapped his camera off and not his head, mm-hmm. not his neck. Uh, he went out and bought a fuel with a cutaway and the roller mount. And I mean, he, he's like, man, stepping up my safety. Yep. I made him, I bought him an AAD. I was like, well, before we, you know, do this thing, we get married. Like, you're going to be jumping an AAD. That's the best prenup ever, dude. <laughs> We're not getting married till Plus I buy you an AAD. I was like, vasectomy and. You know, AAD. Now we're saving the world. <laughs> yeah. You're reducing your carbon footprint. You're such a freaking hippie. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> I mean, I'm already in a carbon heavy um, industry. I was like, well, we're not going to be needing to you know, do that. We've got babies. We They're 18 years and older and pay us thousands of dollars. And it is like a family. Like, I'm not a maternal person, but with these kids and, well, they're adults. Yeah. But I, you know, Some they call us ma and pa and. <laughs> I love it. Even Timmy calls us mom. Remember being the young guy on the drop zone at some point in your I life? I do. What happened? I talked a lot <laughs> of shit to the old guys. They left, and then everybody seemed to be younger than me. That's kind of <laughs> how it went for me. Th- that's <laughs> where it's, it's headed in that general direction. By far, I'm not the Is old guy. Is that accurate, Nick? That's, that's <laughs> sounds pretty much perfect, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not the old guy on the DZ. There's a lot of older guys, but on staff, there's not very many older guys. Um, it, it is. It's been out. a while since I've worked in an environment where I was, you know, the, the kid. lower end of it, yeah. So now you do, guys are doing student progression. You're doing traditional style AFF as far as the progression, just single instructor. Mm-hmm. In other words, single instructor, or uh, uh, just go out and get comfortable, touch your handles, go do some turns, yeah. release you. Yeah. After the release, there, we'll go do some area. turns. Yeah. So pretty traditional. They're doing 10 jumps with an instructor, though. Mm-hmm. So at some point, they do flips and shit. Yep. That's literally... Number nine? I I spend a jump <laughs> after turns. I spend a jump on moving forward and backward, trying to teach leg awareness because so many people are defeated in the swoop to docks by never finding their legs. Mm-hmm. And so before we go and start doing flips and all the getting exciting, I have them find their legs. And I find that especially when they're doing backflips, if they haven't figured out where their legs are, they're going to go into a pommel horse scenario and start doing multiple backflips. Which I is only funny when you land. Yeah, during, during it all, it's you exciting. Have to fly into that, it's <laughs> yeah. like, well, I really do like my neck, so I'd rather not get cracked. So, <laughs> you, you just would r- prefer to teach them to stop doing that before you have to. And then, so I find that that forward and backward movement really helps a lot with finding the legs. That jump isn't like hugely critical as far as them moving on, but as far as them having to achieve some specific task for qualifying to go on <coughs> but i want them to use that jump as kind of a relax before we because they just did all the tough stuff the 360s mm-hmm. they've just did the thing that everybody's daunted by and typically struggles the most with mm-hmm. and now that they've made it through that just that little bit of forward and back is kind of a relaxed dive and then the fun begins because now you you've kind of learned how to start flying yourself now let's start learning how to fly with somebody else. So I want them to have a basis of how to get to somebody. And so we spend time with that swoop to dock and trying to learn that awareness of tracking flat and tracking sti- a delta track versus a flat track mm-hmm. and trying to recognize the difference as far as getting down to a group of jumpers or trying to get away from a group of jumpers. And so we spend time there as well. 
so you, you really fill in my questions. Where do the extra jumps to get to 10 come from? Mm-hmm. And one is leg awareness, which uh, you remember Spaceland. We have a jump built into to STP mm-hmm. that uh, I think some people get confused. It's You know exactly what it's for. It's to get people to wake up their legs, mm-hmm. understand, use, and work your legs. It's such an important process to any of us flying. And then tracking, which traditionally in USPA programs are done by coaches. You're not leaving to the coaches. You're leaving to the experts, to the instructors. Mm-hmm. Nice, The man. initial. Yeah, the initial. The, the, like, let's get the – this is one of the most critical life-saving skills we have. Get the next separation. thing after that is be going doing your first solo. But I want them to get excited about tracking right then because they go practice it. That's, like, what they want to do. But we teach very much <coughs> the importance of line of flight. Mm-hmm. And our guys are asking, you know, we broadcast the jump run direction and what the uppers are doing, and we teach them how to read the uppers to where we coach them that that's your responsibility. Know what they are. And so they'll ask, hey, is the jump run like this? Because that's what I would be flying if I st- based on these uppers. And so, it, you I know, it. yes or no. And, oh, no, this is what we're doing and this is why. So now they're getting re-education. Hold on, I want to stop so right there for one second. I want to steal what you track. just said. I want to emphasize what you just said. Your fun jumpers aren't coming to ask you what they should do. Your fun jumpers are coming to you, telling you their plan and confirming they're right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Man, if you're listening to this and you're skydiving and you're going up to an instructor, to a DZO, to anybody, and you're asking them, what should I do? Pull your head out of your poop hole and do what Steve is suggesting. <laughs> Educate yourself. Look at what the plan is. Please ask us, hey, this is what I think it's mm. going to be. Anytime For anybody real. comes up to the DZ and says, this is what I think I should do. Man, what a culture you're breeding, bro. Thanks for noticing. That, no, that's, that's one of you. When you were the lead instructor here, since I been done being a lead instructor i've consulted with all you guys Mm -hmm. and you've had a huge passion for understanding um i want you to continue on but the other thing that stood out is small Cessna drop zones commonly cultivate bad habits for big drop zones it's okay to do this at a small Cessna joint because you don't have the traffic you can get away with crap i know but they're not going to stay there they're going to travel and i encourage them to yeah and everything you're doing is breeding again the culture of skydiving yeah well I want someone to learn how to skydive so they can see the world from a new perspective, not just see my drop zone from that perspective, but go see the everything. Because I got to. <coughs> I loved the shit out of it. I want to keep doing it. I hope to God that's what you want to do. But if you get to a drop zone and you feel overwhelmed and overcome and afraid to ask the questions that are going to save your life, then you need to step up a little bit. you know. And so I want to teach these guys that that is 100% your responsibility. Even though those everybody's watching your back, they want to check your gear, they want to make sure you're safe because that keeps them safe. You still are covering your own ass in the same regard. Don't don't rely on them. Know everything you can on your own. So y- you make sure they know a lot of these things. They might not be great at I, it. The way I like to teach it is I say I want to teach you the etiquette of skydiving beyond just how to skydive. Yeah. I tell I like to tell students I'm not I can't teach you all the information about skydiving I can just teach you skydiving common sense it's mm-hmm. your job to use it yeah. and I, I think it's the same thing said and done there mm-hmm. you get them to understand all these ideas again not perfect them they're, they're not going to buy their first solo now when they go on their first solo they should be able to say Steve I'm gonna go do this and this is how I'm gonna do it and this is my plan and this is what's going mm-hmm. on from here we have some coach jumps you guys got three new coaches last year yep. you said. Yep, we got to use them this year. It's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. How many coach jumps are usually going on? How ma- is it There's very jumper dependent? Sometimes. I would say 
you know, we've got two built-in coach jumps yeah. into the p- into the package. All of the people that learned with us so far have bought our package. Um, I like I your package. I like. I package like it too. too. That's what got her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, go oh, learn today, <laughs> <laughs> girl. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, we we sell an A license package that saves them money off of the buying it one at a time, which is not uncommon in the industry. But everybody has bought that because I sell them on, if you'll do the financial commitment, we will get you your A license. But if you want to come to me one at a time and try and do this, you're going to have a check come up short where you lost hours or you had an extra bill and you're going to miss a jump. And then you're going to be paying to repeat that skydive because you went past 30 days. If the money's there, you'll make the time commitment and we'll get you to an A license. When you have an A license, that shit is good for life. It's a matter of getting recurrent back to it if you lose time. But if you get to 24 jumps and never bother to get that last jump and that documentation, you wasted all the beginning part at a certain point in time, you know? Because I've had several in my life that have never finished the program because of some circumstance in their life. But I've, we've found that everybody's finishing the program and achieving that A license by getting that package scenario. So <coughs> you sounds like you're doing a good job getting them through the program. Small drop zone, once again, another inherent problem. Limited talent pool, limited learning pool, limited things. It's super easy for us to have a mentor program and load organizers because mm-hmm. we have yeah. so many planes going. What are you doing to cultivate growth from 25? Because once we get past 100, we start seeing true retention. We yeah. really need to get them close to that triple-digit number. What yeah. are you doing in that zone? We're lacking a bit in that zone, to be honest, because I don't have a lot to rely on and as far as fun jumpers of that level. We have a handful of the older guys that spent time there and they do come out and do s- jump with everybody and kind of teach them stuff. Um, when Timmy her and I and I have time, we try and do those jumps where we can, but that is hard to do when you're the two instructors. And so we do lack a little bit in that department. My long-term goal is that will be my life is yes. I will have instructors that teach people and I'm just going to get on with whichever person I feel like hey, you want to make a skydive and teach them beyond that. That's what I want to do for retirement. <laughs> Bri- Brian, like uh, Brian Wallace was the uh, drop zone owner in Ogden where, uh, where we both learned. Yeah. And Brian was the, he was the, really similar to what you just described yeah. in my learning. I love Brian. He yeah, was the Br- Brian was such a, such a great person to jump with, mm-hmm. the, those dimples that never quit. Right. And, uh, but that, he's a drop zone owner. I mean, he would sometimes be the pilot. He would sometimes be just doing whatever, whatever it was. But on a normal you know, Saturday when all the fun jumpers were out, he would just get on jumps with anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he's over 10,000 jumps now, right? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, he would just grab anybody. I remember having, you know, 15 jumps, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? We're, do- we're doing this now. Yeah. And uh, uh, definitely someone that comes to mind when, when you yeah. talk about a role like that. I d- there's definitely many aspects of what Skydive Ogden was in my jumping career that I am adding into what we're doing. Skydive Ogden had a huge influence in what I am today, for sure. So much talent that's come out of there. It blows my mind. Yeah, it's that's crazy. That's, that's a tiny amazing little place. to me. Yeah. Yeah. That we had a core group there that was that, I don't know if you'd call it glory days or what, but um, 
there was an era where that was the only place I wanted to be on the planet for a while. I was just like, if they're open, that's what we're doing. And we jumped our asses off. We, I remember one season there was 1,200 or so jumps, which is pretty good. Utah's produced some really amazing people, man. Yeah, yes. really good flyers. And, uh, you know, I, I only jumped at Sk- Skydive Utah as the... We would call it the other drop zone there. Now it is the drop zone. It, it sounds like I'm it. I'm so I stoked on I haven't, haven't been back for, yeah. for quite a while. But, uh, uh, yeah, the, the atmosphere there was just really, really friendly, really welcoming. And uh, like Stephen said, the the amount of talented people that came out of this one, you know, relatively small drop zone in the middle of some odd city in northern yeah. Utah. <laughs> Super cool. Really good place. Speaking of small city in the middle of odd places... <laughs> Scott, I have awesome, <laughs> awesome, fun jumpers. You've seen a lot come. You've seen a lot go. People actually travel through and they'll stop and they'll visit, mm-hmm. uh, like the uh, Sun Went Away Boogie. Um, Daytime stars. Is what Daytime star. um, oh, I wanted to ask, did anybody try to wear like, w- did anybody wear anything you could stare at the sun with on a skydive? No, people on a skydive? took no. it in oh, their suit, but I think the craziest the one reality. was Bo and Riley doing their um, high pole Mr. Bill. She froze her ass off. <laughs> she like, I yeah. She was frostbitten. Poor it thing was wearing like this paper thin like onesie, like shiny onesie. She's Mister Billing on, on a high pole, and she's just like, "Where's the fire?" When she got down, I was like, "Who does that?" Because it was cold. That was the coolest part. Was it got cold on the ground? I couldn't imagine what it was doing at you know thirteen five. At sunset or sunrise, however you want to call it. Uh, sun gone. Some <laughs> went bye bye. Uh, why do fun jumpers want to stop and visit Skydive Awesome? People are listening. People are traveling. People are going to come visit Oregon. Why do we want to come visit your drop zone? I mean, you've given me plenty of reasons already. Our scenery is pretty epic. We can see 14 <laughs> mountain peaks when we're climbing up to altitudes, all the way from Shasta in California to Adams and Rainier and Ma- Mount St. Helens in Washington. So just being able to see all the Cascades of Oregon, and we're right on the edge of the forest with big lakes. You can see all of the Deschutes River. You can see Smith Rock. You can see Mount, you know, obviously Hood is right there and Jefferson right there. So it's just incredible scenery. That That's one of the most amazing things we have to offer. And then you have to put up with me. Good the vibes. The <laughs> background, is it was this just at Sisters or... I've seen some photos of landings at the drop zone. Is I see sisters in the background. Is that from Madras? Yeah, you can see sisters. Oh, yeah. I mean, super clearly that. And I was. I it mean, obviously, when we were in sisters, it was m- the proximity was better. It yeah. just was, but we could only see the sisters <coughs> from the ground. I mean, it was there's so many trees. Now, when you're on the ground and you're hanging out, you see ten mountain peaks. Everything from Bachelor to Mount Hood, and then the sunsets are out of this world because okay. they set behind the mountain, obviously to the west. Yeah, and it's beautiful. That's yeah. definitely the, the pictures 15, I saw from. Fifteen yeah. minutes from the lake, so yeah. In the afternoon, we'll take a break if it's like over ninety-five. Go to the lake, go to some testis, paddle for a while, come back, eat, and then get back to jumping. Jump. If I will not promise next time I visit Oregon that I will come skydive there. Because the next time I visit Oregon might be in January. Not this January, but <laughs> the next time I visit Oregon and the skydiving weather is good, I will be there to jump. Cool. And I uh, will definitely come visit regardless. Uh, sorry the last trip that we made. Uh, we were 
Valerie and I put a super tight I schedule I say, together. it sounded like y'all really packed up your schedule. I mean, I know you're there for a purpose. Yeah, we were there to explore and understand. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We got we saw a lot in a short time. Hood River, Camas, Washington, uh, two different waterfall hikes in Washington, uh, Cannon Beach, Crescent Beach, uh, back down the whole coast, yeah. and then cut across mm-hmm. Salem. Salem is ba- yeah, basically we'll cut across Salem. We did the same trip. Sahali Falls, Sahali. and then what's the other one? The one Kusa, Kusa. That's the bigger yeah. one, and the Sahali is the two that go down the yeah. Blue oh. Pool. Mm-hmm. Basically, I mean, there's there's like a series of three on like uh, a six okay. mile loop yeah. that you do. Yeah, we saw the first two or three because the mm-hmm. the breast of the loop was super long, and at yeah. this point, I think I took Val on fourteen some mile miles worth of hiking one day, and so when we got to the end, she's like, "Nope, we're <laughs> not doing." It. I'm like, "Baby, if you walk like two miles with me to go see these three falls, I, I'll thank you." I, l- I love waterfalls, so we crammed all that in. Next time, Trail of Seven Falls, visit you guys. Thank you so much for coming and doing this tonight, guys. Anything else you want to tell your friends, your family, your jumpers back home? I mean, if you're going to skydive, skydive <laughs> awesome, and we appreciate the support, and keep being patient and growing with us. Come for the jump, stay for the family. Steve. I love everything in life. I'm glad I'm alive. One That's of my all I got. One of my favorite things is when you said Belize, the first thing and the only thing Steve said for five minutes was, that was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> did you notice that? I did, yeah. <laughs> that was gangster. I have never, I drank more alcohol in four months of Belize than every other portion of my life combined, I think. That's how we got our it business. Was, it was a fun moment. I also got to jump into the blue hole on a tandem. That was pretty fucking cool. Man, I hate you. <laughs> As All I had to do <laughs> was show up. <laughs> You're like, I got paid to do it, bro. Didn't even get to jump in the blue hole. I got paid. And no, mm-hmm. he did not take me. It was another woman. Yeah. yeah. I was stepping out. A little jealousy, I sense. No, and now she got her license. It's amazing. That was her first tandem, and now she's licensed. No joke. Love her. No. Man, that's go, hard Carrie. to live up to. Um, guys, gals, uh, safety day is coming up at Skydive Spaceland, Skydive Spaceland Houston, San Marcos, and Dallas. The rating center will be organizing all of those safety days. Uh, the last two years, we have broadcasted safety day on Facebook Live on the rating center. Um, that's awesome, like Skydive Awesome. Uh, this year, once again, we will be broadcasting safety day from Skydive Spaceland Houston. Nick, I need to talk to you about how I plan on doing it. A couple different options. Sounds like you've included me in your plans already. No, I want your opinion, and your opinion, the opinion may or may not have to use you. I'll be there. So um, it's up to you. Um, uh, we're going to do that. We do have for Gravity Lab, we still are planning karaoke night. Nick made an awesome suggestion. We work these events. Uh, we want to party. So we're going to hire a DJ. We're going to do it right. We're going to do it real. So Justin, myself, and Nick can just party, just have a good time, just hang out. We'll get a date as soon as we can, but we're going to plan that sometime for the spring. Cool. And I have not planned the movie night this month. So I need to get on that. Sounds like it's going to boil down to the Lion King. Yeah. <laughs> Drop zone. <laughs> Drop zone. Drop zone. All the girls. All the girls wanted to watch Lion King. So and we Jimmy. watched uh, Point Break last week. We always yeah, make said our jumpers watch Cutaway. Cutaway <laughs> uh, we showed at the film festival. So I love what you guys are doing, by the way, with your podcast and the events, the film festival. I keep up with it all. It's awesome. It's just a good time, man. It's great. Uh, my my family, my in-laws asked, so what's the goal and what's the purpose of the podcast? And I le- my legitimate answer was to have fun. Yeah. I mean, spread information, get good information, talk with my friends. But, dude, it's just that. We, we have a good time doing it. And thanks again. Nick, hit that funky music. Hey, wait. What the? Oh, I didn't ask you. You, you didn't ask me if I had anything to contribute. What contribute. you got? 
Uh, I just want to say thank you to Stephen for uh, coming on the show. But uh, more than that, uh, Stephen is a huge reason why I ended up at Spaceland. I don't know if you even remember this conversation. We were at Skydive Ogden, and just almost at, you were you were working at uh, here at Spaceland at the time, and you were like, "Yeah, it's a really cool spot. You should come check it out." And I was in a pretty uh, dark place at the time, and uh, I don't think without your suggestion that I would have been here. And I have really enjoyed it here, and uh, I feel like I've done really well and really found myself here. So I wanted to give you a very sincere thank you oh, for uh, welcome. for sending me down. Stoked to see what you're doing with it. Super proud. Thanks, Thanks man. I, what That's I told really Jason, cool. I remember that conversation. I was like, hey, look, I know you're going to judge the book by the cover. <laughs> just look past that, and you're going to love this guy more than anybody else you've hired all year. Just give him a chance. Well, I appreciate that very much. <clears throat> I can play the music now. Love if you, you want. buddy. Love you, man. Thank you again. Hell yeah. Uh, DJ, anything else? Hit that music. All right, here we go. Wicked, wicked. What? Oh. Uh, here we go. No, oh, no, there no. it is. He figured it out. <laughs> Blue skies, guys. We're out. Love you, buddy.